All right, we got some new merch to tell you about. Uh, we got the Vintage Rat Tee, the Hunting Club Hoodies and Hats, if you like to get out there with that gunpowder, as well as some new colors in the BGTY Be Good to Yourself collection. Get that and more at TheoVonStore.com. And uh, thanks for repping. New tour dates to announce. I will be in Las Vegas on June 30th and July 2nd at the Encore Theater. Get pre-sale tickets with code RATKING starting Wednesday, January 11th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. General on sale starts Friday, January 13th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. We're also adding a sixth show in Austin on June 8th and a fourth show in Houston on March 23rd. Um, we also have a few tickets left in Louisville, Indianapolis, Shreveport, Baton Rouge, Boston, Medford, Corpus Christi, and Phoenix and New York City. Get tickets at theovon.com slash T-O-U-R. That's tour. Today's guest is a rare. He's a rare. He's a one of a kind. And he is. People say that all the time about people, um, but they're... I, this, he is that, uh, he's a comedian. He's a filmmaker. Uh, he has a new special streaming on January 28th, uh, live from Madison square garden. You'll be able to watch the live stream of it. Uh, we'll put that information below. Um, he's, I saw him, I saw him perform last night. It was unreal. Happy to have him here today. Mr. Louis CK. I sweat more when it's cold, weirdly. Yeah? Yeah. I get clammy. If I'm warm up, I'm, I I sweat less. Like mm. at night. Yeah. We used to have a buddy. I was sitting about sweating, but it made me think about reptiles. At, uh, I used to work on this farm, and we had a dude, after it would rain, he would go lay on the concrete up there. He'd take his shirt off and go lay on the concrete. Like really? A, like a reptile kind of guy. Because he it felt good, it, it cools off. That's like what dogs do. They sit on the hearth, you know? Oh, really? Yeah, you know, they sit somewhere. They find a cool spot on the floor, yeah. Yeah, I think it just felt good on his skin. After it would rain, he would take his shirt off. This dude named Lance. And, uh... He was really in touch with what made him feel good. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good point. A yeah. lot of people won't do that. But he's yeah. like, I know that feels good, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah, it is kind of nice. I think there's probably more stuff people would do in public if they were less probably like inhibited or whatever about it. Oh, definitely. I was like, I was in a. Um, we move this a little closer on you. Luke. Yeah, sure. I was in. A, I think it, you know those places that are like. Uh, it's like a chain restaurant, but it's a little better. You know what I mean? A little better. Mm, yeah, like uh, like a like like BJ's, or yeah, something. that kind of thing. Yeah, I forget what it was, but it was daytime and it was really dead in there, in some I don't know Akron, Ohio, or some horrible place, and um, and some big lady came in, you know, yeah, off the street, and you could tell they were like, okay, like they they have something where they just like just let her come in, you know what I mean? Right, let her come in, let her smell everything. Yeah, they maybe they she got stopped at the door one day and it got. So, you know what I mean? But you can see they're like, okay, you see, they went to the manager and he's like, it's okay. 
it's okay. There wasn't enough customers in there. She came in and she just starts walking through the restaurant and she takes the creamers, you know, the, the those metal tin creamers that are on the kind of places. Uh-huh. She starts drinking cream and then she leaves. Ooh. And I thought, if I wasn't worried about how that looks, I might do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's something about creamers as like as a kid that's kind of magical, this oh, nice yeah. cold cream. Maybe she knows the time they just poured them so they're nice and cold. But if you'd had no concern about right. you might walk by a restaurant and go, I bet they got some nice cold creamers and I'm gonna have myself some. Yeah, 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 yeah that's true. Yeah, I could see that coming through and just kind of sniffing the cream, just having some. Yeah. Just being, I always want to like touch people on the back of their neck. Yeah. Wow. That's an interesting one. Cause I feel like it's like the most kind of like, it's almost like a real <laughs> parental place. Oh, yeah. It's caring. It's, yeah. So you, you mean you're the parent? I don't know. I mean, maybe I would dress up in a suit or something, but I don't know <laughs> if I would be like the parent, but I, I, yeah. I just, yeah. Sometimes I want to do that. Even when I'm just talking to people, I want to like, I almost feel like if I put my hand on the back of their neck, we would know more about each other or something. Yeah, you know? you'd be closer. You'd be an arm's length away. Yeah. When I was in school, in middle school. It's hard to school, escape you, that moment. Yeah, it's hard to escape it. So then I think you're there with like the honesty of whatever's really going on. Hmm. Um, when I was in middle school, if you got in a fight, they made you stand in the hall all day and hug each other like this. No shit. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, hands on each other's shoulders? Hands on each like other's shoulders. Slow dance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and another dude? Yeah, yeah. And you're both going, this is bullshit. Yeah, but yeah. after, for how long? Oh, probably, I think I was out there for four hours one time, probably. No shit. Yeah, me and this kid, Brad Castle. And did you have, like, blood on you from the fight still? And Yeah, still pretty dirtied up. I mean, I will, I will yeah, he got the best of me. Hmm. But, yeah, we were out there. And the kids would come through during the, uh, like, and you try to be kind of cool, like, <laughs> while it was, uh, while it was, like, while it all, while it was in class, you would try yeah. to like just like be yeah. like you would kind of relax and be cool with each other. And yeah. like, then when the kids with the bell would ring and they would switch classes, you'd be like, "This is fucking gay, dude!" You're right? Gay. You know, you would like. But then you're alone out there during class time. Yeah, so you'd have to get to know each other. So you really would talk, probably, right? Yeah. I mean, w there'd be like a period of just like, "Man, fuck this, fuck you, man." Yeah. But then you start going. So what? What do you? Uh... <laughs> yeah. Like what are you doing after school, or why, where do you you know? Is your do you have sisters, right. brothers? Right? Yeah, you start. Oh talking. yeah, you get into it, and then he became a friend. So I like that. I think yeah, there's it's something a really about that. Smart idea. The only th that pose of hands on shoulders. It reminds me of when I was. I mean, that was middle school. So this was fifth, sixth grade. Kids, boys and girls started saying they want to be boyfriend girlfriend. You know, they started to be that thing. And it was only the cool kids that could do that. Like oh, anybody yeah. that was below, you know, in the nerdy or just not popular. Anybody with glasses on was out. Oh, no, you had no currency. Yeah. But all the cool kids got to hook up. Yeah. And so they would be like Mike McDougal and Samantha, Amanda Stebbins, these are real people, are going to kiss. And they and they did it as a tribe, too. You didn't just walk up to girls. Like I, I walked up to girls and said, you want to be my girlfriend? They're like, yeah. Flag on the play, buddy. That's not how it's done. <laughs> yeah. That's like somebody coming off the sidelines and just getting in the play. Hey, give me the yeah. get the it's fuck like out of here. Come in and just sipping your cream. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had to. It would be like they decide as a tribe. Mike and Amanda are going to be a couple. Yeah. So Amanda's friends would push her, and Mike's would push him, 
and they'd have to go to some place and kiss. They're like behind kiss a tree now. or something. Yeah. yeah. And they would stand like that with hands on shoulders, just that exact. And they'd be like looking, at, like trying to look to the sides and everybody's going, come on. And everyone's, yeah. come on, Mike, you f- it. And like <laughs> fucking screaming at him. And he's like, and Amanda, don't be a, you know, that's just yeah. whatever. And then they'd kiss and, and everybody goes, oh, yeah. and it was, that Queers. was it. Queers. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're both queer <laughs> yeah, somehow. Yeah, yeah. And one of them's stepdad was there too. Like, what is that dude? Yeah, yeah. Why is he? Yeah, come on, Mike. <laughs> but uh, but it's God. a similar thing of kids, two young people trying to. Your teach. I never heard that. That the, your school must have. That's a really creative and interesting. I thought it was. It was one. And me and that me and that guy are still friends. I just saw him a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought, uh, you but still I do that thing just to oh, talk sometimes. <laughs> just once in a while. It should be a regular thing. One shining moment. Yeah. <laughs> Just sing a little. Yeah. Um, I'm. It almost reminds me of Lord of the Flies, what you're talking about, because mm-hmm. it really was. I never thought about it like that. Like the whole tribe kind of had to agree that Scott yep. and Jessica were going to kiss. That's right. And then like if you were like, like a little bitch that would stand there and kind of like just like – Watch and like some people were right up there, like you know, nudging him in, but some people were in the back just yelling, shit, right? You know, no, things were very uh tribal, medieval, uh, and there's microcosms there at those ages. Like, oh, yeah, I had a friend who was very popular, but he had me like as a side bitch in some weird way, like I was his friend, mm-hmm. but I didn't get to hang out with him. In the like, we lived close to each other, he lived right. two houses down from me, so he would hang out with me, just me and him. But when he was out with his boys, like, I just wasn't invited. It was right. a weird thing. But one time I was playing basketball with him and some guy from his group came over and because he was kind of a leader. And he was telling this guy why he's out. And I hadn't seen that before. Like, I was just I just sat and listened. And oh. he was, like, saying, he was like, hey, man, why are you mad at me? Everybody's saying you're mad at me. Nobody talks to me anymore, this other guy. Like, why is nobody talking to me? And he said, because you're just... You changed, and you're not you're not cool anymore. And he's like, "What do you mean I changed? I'm just being myself." And he's like, and he wouldn't give him the information. Like he hadn't done anything. Oh. he's just like, "You're just out, man. You're just not. <laughs> it's not. You know, you should look into yourself and decide. Wow, what did you do? You think about it. It's not for me to tell you." And the poor kid was like crushed because this was he he was part of this group, and he was out after that. And you'd never seen him be be in that kind of situation. I'd never seen that. I was fascinated by it yeah and he also did it openly in front of me because i just didn't count you know right he's like so, this is some fly on the wall this guy yeah. will never yeah but He'll we never were like tell 10 anybody. everybody was 10 in the story yeah. <laughs> yeah, i was like crazy. where the fuck did he get this sophisticated kind of like dick cheney kind of like you know you know you're yeah. out you're out you know fucking and like your message, that, yeah, if Louis C. It doesn't son. even matter. Yeah, Get Louis C. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know it was. It yeah, didn't matter. He'll never make it to the Capitol to tell anyone. No, never, I was yeah. a servant. Yeah, I'm yeah. like the guy who got shot in the face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I remember, uh, oh, what were you just talking about? Mm. Oh, you were talking about friends? Middle school. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy when you look at a 10-year-old, it looks like they're doing nothing, kind of like they're dumb and their neck's getting longer. But then it's like you look at you like... um. But then, like, you hear the, a story like that, and you're like, yeah, they have this whole cosm yes. and universe that's going on. Well, and yeah, because we don't see it. When you see kids, they kind of look just frozen-faced. and Because when an adult walks in the room, like, I, in Lord of the Flies, did you ever see the movie? Um. Oh, yeah, I did. Well, it ends with just, like, this boot, this adult boot in the foreground. Oh, the yeah. Kids just, <laughs> it just stops all the madness. Shut stops. it down. Yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah, you're right. In their own world, they're, you know. It's so wild to think about that. Because, I, yeah, I, I really get infatuated with those kind of times, man. Like, um, I love that kind of stuff. I loved growing up. I loved, like, the mystery of all of it. Mm-hmm. Like, how everything was so crazy. And it was just... And the things you could do, man. We used to... um. Like, I remember the first time I ever touched a girl's breast, right? Mm-hmm. They had this girl, they had this dude in our neighborhood. He was Elvis impersonator, right? And, um, like on stage or just in life? I would say a little more life. Yeah. I, I mean, say, he walked around dressed like Elvis. Yeah. Okay. He walked around. I mean, he did as good, he did as good as he could to get, you know, to be there, you know? And, uh, and anyway, yeah, he, but he had, well, it's something that happened to him. He got hit by, he, something, he'd broken a leg or something, and they set it like in a, they got it set just, he got it set locally, basically. Had it like a, somebody do it. So when it broke again, he had like a, <laughs> he had a natural Elvis. Yes. So he was halfway to Elvis right there. He had that. So that he started with that, and then he was like, "Hey, man, yeah. thank, you, thank you very much." <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, he just started yeah. getting into it. Yeah, wow. he was just a nice guy. That was. I don't think even you. Elvis got started like that. <laughs> no. So at least wow. he could say it was grassroots, kind right. of. Right. So, or maybe he had a moment in the mirror where he's like this, and he goes, "I could either walk around like this, or I could put." Maybe it was a way to save it, you know? Yeah, I think it probably saved him some face because he was probably yeah. very embarrassed. So anyway, his dog, his kids, he made him stay in the yard, right? And he had electric fence on their yard, and they were Pentecostals, and um. One of the girls let me touch her breasts through that fucking fence, dude. Oh. And she wore a mother's nightgown, I remember. She wore oh. like a like a, an adult woman. Wait a minute. I missed the connection. Who is she to the Elvis? Daughter. Night? Okay. And how old were you? I was probably 10 or maybe 11. And she was what? Mm, I don't know. 40? I don't know. I mean, she in my mind, she was... Right, she was an adult. She had a little. It wasn't even a tit. Really, with tits was. And it wasn't even a tit. Old. It was like a kid's breast. I mean, it was a right. not a kid's breast. It was I mean, a sorry. swell. Yes. Well, you were a kid. You can't be a child molester when you're a child. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And I want to say that to everybody out there too. Yes. Yeah. All you kids out there. Yeah. Yeah. You're not pedophiles. Yeah. But uh, oh, I remember still, dude. There was just so much fear reaching through that. Oh yeah. The the electricity. So was it a chain chain link fence? No, it was um. Like a wire, and it's not a barbed wire. Pull up an electric fence, Zachary, if you don't mind. I, well, yeah, it's like on wood, right? They're like, it's like, it's just a cord. Yes, it's like a very. Oh, so you reached your hand through the f- fence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So there was plenty. It wasn't like you were touching fence. No, but it was so. so and she this... came up to the fence. Yeah. Wearing her mother's nightgown. I, I swear to God, it was a. Yes, it was an adult. To me, it seemed maybe so adult also too. I just of, want a little context, okay? Like before and after, yeah. Because was, what I'm was, picturing with this this picture that you're showing of like this fence in a field, mm-hmm. which is where electric fences are usually in a desolate place, right? They don't. This was undesolate. I just picturing this girl with like wind flapping around this thing, and then you just come, and then you just do this. Well, this was like, like it's the way you get, you know, like it's scanning your hands yeah, so you can yeah. get into the into the. Uh, chamber <laughs> yeah. but i mean I but was, was it like way. did you make a plan or did you see her across did you see her across the fence and go hi becky and then you came to talk and then she said would you like to touch my breast was it like that i knew she liked me okay and i knew she, that they couldn't get out like their dad did not let like they didn't have a babysitter so they would just lock the gate or whatever right this is the kind of those yeah. times yeah and so those times for some people oh yeah i don't know i mean it was like 
Yeah, in our area, I think if you had a gate, that was your step. That was like your dad. Okay. You know, for yeah. a lot of people. Latchkey kid. Yeah. yeah, just like that. Yeah. So, but I remember, yeah, I got close and just, yeah, she knew I liked her. And I guess, I think she'd been a little bit, somebody had, she had dated. I think she'd been on a date. Okay. So she had maybe a little more, exp- you know, I felt like she yeah, had that experience. Yeah, at that age, there was that thing where some of us had done it and some of us hadn't. Yeah. Oh, and it was such you a... Know? Oh, when we heard that there was a summer where somebody, like, got a boner, or, like, got a sex on a mm. pool toy or something. Holy fuck. And people were losing their shit. Yeah, the the kid who uh, got rejected by my friend, mm-hmm. he went he got went rogue, you know? He became, a, a, like, a, a bit of a nut. So then when we were all in middle school, or about to be in middle school... He started doing some drugs and stuff, and he would, uh, at Halloween, I remember, he would wait till the end of the night and fucking take kids' candy. Like, he would take full sacks. He would just walk up to kids and just grab and get the fuck away from me, and he would just, and he didn't even like the candy. He was really fucked up, but I found him, I, I, I went, I sort of latched myself to him. Like, I went from that other friend, I'm like, this is the guy. I mean, this is somebody worth knowing now. But he was the first kid I knew who had like a shit ton of porn and stuff. And so, yeah. And he was the first person I talked about sex with. And he was like, I want to, f- someday I got to fuck a woman. So, you know, so then I heard that he fucked a girl. Oh, wow. And I remember I, I saw him in a park and I'd heard that he fucked a girl <gasps> and I ran to him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, Hey, man, I heard you fucked a girl. Yeah. And he said, Calm down, man. Calm down. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Just shut up. And I realized he's on the other side of this line that I'm yeah. I'm a child and he's a man. Yeah. And he wanted nothing to do with me anymore. So fuck. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, there's that line. There's that like moment you cross over, yeah. man. I remember finding some pornography in my brother's closet and and I found some liquor at the same time, right? And so I was mm. having liquor and looking at uh, pornography, and I blacked out. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> I fucking blacked out and fell off the shelving unit. And it wasn't from the liquor, maybe. You just couldn't, you just overloaded. Yeah, I'd had two, I'd had two sips of it. It was peach, but I don't think it was anything I couldn't handle. No. Yeah, it was too much at the beginning. Oh, there was so was too much. much. I remember the first girl that I had a specific sexual feeling about was this girl in junior high school. We call it junior high school where I grew up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she, I had this fantasy about her. I would lay in my bed. This before I did anything to myself or anything. I just lay in bed and think about her. Oh, yeah. And I would picture her. She wore this, because I always saw her gym class. And it was this yellow T-shirt and a, and blue shorts was the uniform. We wore uniform at gym. Oh wow! And uh, and I just would picture her just lifting her t-shirt just a little bit, mm-hmm. and that was. And I go stop there. Like I don't. Th- I would tell myself, don't ever in your life think past that point. It's all past that is not okay. Wow! And I stayed there for a long time. Did you? Um. Oh, I remember at summer camp they had this cute girl, right? I yeah. think she was cute. I don't know. She was a female. And she would let us come over and look. She had like this kind of boyfriend that liked her, and we we're all kind of yeah. jealous. This other camp counselor, yeah. And sometimes she would let us come over and look down her shirt, and oh he yeah, would, and he would sit there right by, kind of like oh, a little bit of a cuck thing, little like monitoring, like you're allowed to come yeah. in and see what's in the shop, you know? 
Whoa. It was and he was a counselor? Yeah. Were you a counselor? Were they all counselors? No, I was a kid. Wait uh, a minute. So he was a counselor. Was she a counselor? She was a counselor, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. She was a counselor. Yeah. Oh, so it was like, we're going to let the boys look at her tits. Yeah, I think it was just, I don't know if it might have been raining out or something. There wasn't like anything planned or whatever, but they, <laughs> I remember they, that we got to go over and like, and one kid, I remember this crazy dude. Yeah. This black kid tried to put his hand in oh, the really? shirt. Yeah. What'd they do? What'd the they guy said, do? No, the guy kind of shut him down. Okay, like, that's no. what he was there for. And then, yeah. And yeah. I was like, oh, this kid knows more than I do, right? Because right. I was like, I went up hands behind my back. Like I was so. Oh, you did? Oh, man. I was like, because I feel like if my hands, I can't control my hands around a tit. So. Mm-hmm. I got to put them back there. That's enough control. <laughs> it just gave me yeah. a little bit of leeway. Just a where little bit. Yeah. If I felt them coming across yeah, you my could hips. Walk away. Yeah. 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 yeah I get it. But, I'm, I'd like to imagine the conversation between those two counselors, you know, what are we going to do today? Checkers. What are we going to do is rain. And then she's like, how about we let them see my tits? And he's like, well, I don't know. I'll be okay. If I'm in the room, I think that's okay. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. It was just, but it's a crazy how, how like moments were so, I don't know. There was nothing stronger in the world to me than some of those moments of being in a child, especially yeah. when like sexualization came into things. Oh, just a gi- giant. I mean, I was first, I had a really slow build because I wasn't like in the popular group. So I didn't kiss a girl in middle school once. I didn't kiss a girl till high school, till sophomore year in high school. That's kind of normal, I think. I guess maybe it is, yeah. But you had the good looking friend that would kiss girls. Oh, yeah. There was a couple. I I remember um, this guy, Mike, walking with him once from school. We could we could leave, go out for lunch and stuff at our high school. And he was uh, he took his shirt off his summer. So he's just walking in in shorts or something. And girls were catcalling him. And I had never I'd never heard of that of girls. They were going, oh, Mike, you know, come on, baby, give it to me. And he'd go like, no, no, not for you. He was like kind of coy. Yeah. And I never knew that girls like lusted after guys. I just thought it's guys want sex and women, you know, girls let you when they give you the when they want to let you for some other reason or something like that. Yeah. Because I hadn't still hadn't done anything. And then when I was a sophomore, um, I met a girl, I think. Well, there was a girl that I went on a date with who I just fell in love with. Oh, and we yeah. kissed and we fell in love. And, and then she lost interest immediately. So she, I got heartbroken right away. But we only ever kissed. But this girl, Becky, was the first girl that she was like, let me touch her tits. Oh. Let me put her, my hand in her jeans. Whoa. Uh, it was like all at once with Becky. Just those two. Because the early things are all things you do for them. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea they're going to touch your dick is like, that. that's not, Oh, that that's was crazy. Never going to happen. No. first, The first like three bases are all shit you do for them, really. Yeah. Know? And my dick, it, my penis hurt so much. I've been touching it so much. It was always in pain, I felt like. <laughs> yeah. I was like, like self abuse. Oh, dude, it yeah, was too much. Yeah, like if I owned, if I treated anything as bad as I treated my penis, it would mm-hmm. be unbelievable. Imagine yeah. if you had a little guy around and you just beat him on the back all the time until <laughs> he spit up, and it feels really good <laughs> yeah. when he spits. You're like, yeah. It would be hard not to beat the shit out of that kid every oh, day. Dude. Every day, I would hire other people to come beat him. <laughs> the NFL playoff picture is locked in. And my go-to place for wild card round action is DraftKings Sports Book. It's an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to the Super Bowl 57, 
New customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly. If you don't have an issue with gambling, then I think this is the place to do it. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wildcard round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action's so good, why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THEO. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THEO. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Do you hope to grow your e-commerce business in the new year? You may be selling um, pool toys. You may be selling wristlets. If somebody likes something on their wrist, you know, some people, they show their wrist. They, want, they don't want a naked wrist. I understand it. But if you're selling anything, then you might face some e-commerce challenges in the coming year, especially after the holidays with people returning things and things don't fit, you know. Well, I ordered, you know, I ordered a bikini and this is a damn uh, uh, a onesie, you know. ShipStation can help you figure all of this out. That's right. ShipStation helps you get through things faster. Whether you run a side hustle or a giant warehouse, keep customers happy and fulfill more orders than ever. All while cutting shipping costs and managing it all from a single dashboard. And they have the best rates in the industry, which just got even better with up to 86% off USPS and UPS rates. It's not a question of if you should switch to ShipStation, but why you haven't already. Make the new year the best year and grow your business with ShipStation. Use promo code THEO today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com. Use promo code THEO. If you're starting a side hustle or if you have a big business, Shipping is, you don't want it to be hard. You want it to be easy. Ship station, make ship happen. Yeah, no, it really is crazy that poor, I feel for little boys because it's like, you're a boy. You don't know how to handle yourself. You don't know how to keep your room clean. You know, little boys just, they smell, they don't, they don't, they're animals. Yeah. And then you learn that there's this thing that makes you calm. And it's mm. like, forget it. You'll rip it off. Mm. You'll rip it straight off your body. Like you get as close as you can. Oh yeah. You, no, you get as, you get to the point where like I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Like I I need like a week off because it stings. Yeah. I can't get yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I want to rip it off and throw it back to Africa sometimes. <laughs> like that's really how I feel, man. <laughs> sure. And somebody over there, they'll make a fucking soup out of it. You know what I'm saying? They don't even, it's That's like. That's what they'll do? Or they I just think wait in, for white dicks to land. <laughs> There's another one. There's another kid who couldn't take it. <laughs> And they make a soup. Throw sure. it back to the motherland. Yeah. yeah, I love stuff like that, man. Those feelings, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Did you um, have like a role model telling you about sex or anything growing up? Uh, no. I had friends and all of us. I remember when we, my, my friends and I first started, like the group of friends that I had would talk about sex. And the one, and, they, and we were like talk, telling each other how it works. And one kid said, well, you put your penis in her vagina 
and you just and you and you come he said that you come one of your balls comes out when you come oh and it really hurts oh yeah and i said and we had had sex ed in school i said i don't know if you guys paid attention but that's not what happens yeah. i said first of all you go in and out and they all my all my friends were like, "You fucking idiot! No, you don't. You just yeah. put it in. You don't go what in and idiot. out like, like somebody's loitering at a Hardee's yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like, like the door. Yeah. Yeah. No, you you just go. He's just like you just leave it in there. But uh, no, my father taught me. My father's an odd guy, and uh, he sat me down, and he said, uh, "I think my mother told him you need to talk to him." Oh, I had three sis, older sisters. I was the only boy. So she said, you need to talk to him. And what he told me was, he said, when you have sex with a woman, you need to make her desire you. So you enter her. He just skipped all the like how it works. He just said, you enter her a little bit. You touch, just barely touch her. And then you come out and you, and you withhold. He was Mexican and he had a weird sort of traditional he'd say and then you and then you make her beg and beg oh. and then you go in again and you go only a little bit and then you just come out again wow. and you you keep withholding and until she can't stand it wow. and only then do you really penetrate her and she'll come like a rocket like he was just he taught me how to make a woman come he wasn't wrong right <laughs> he wasn't wrong yeah. but i think you need to tell a little kid some other shit first <laughs> Before you get to like how to make a middle-aged woman come. Yeah, yeah. That's you know crazy. what I mean? Yeah. But that's what he was like. He was very narcissistic and, you know. Wow. Yeah, I... Um, did you, who taught you about sex? I mean, did you have... A, I'm asking the same question, a mentor? Yeah, thanks for asking, man. My dad... Well, my dad was 70 when I was born, so my dad was an older yeah, guy. Yeah. And so he... um. He would always tell me he had dated chicks' grandmothers that were like in my class mm. and stuff like that. Mm. And he would show me like poems that he had written and they were like on paper that was like disintegrating. Like it was like, <laughs> it was. Also, he was teaching you about romance. Yeah. My dad was more of a romancer. That's nice. So he was teaching me about romance, but nothing about sex. One time I saw him, he, I think he had cancer or something, but he was walking down the hall and like, I thought he was going to have like, he'd had a new girlfriend and we were at her house. She had a nice house. And she made all this like beef brisket or whatever. I'd never even seen it. You know, it blew mm. my fucking mind. Yeah. Just what, what your, were your parents married? They were married till I was seven and then they got divorced. And did he have kids before with other women? Yeah. Okay. He had three other children. Okay. So he's now, so now you're how old? I'm maybe at this point, I was probably 12. And you saw him somewhere and he had another girlfriend. Yeah. She, and she let us stay at her house. You'd yeah. only ever had bologna and cola cuts or oh, something. Oh, I'd never had brisket. No, of course not. I mean, I was, yeah, I never even, I never even couldn't imagined it. And then um, I he was walking down the hall and I thought he was going to like have sex with it was at nighttime and I would sleep on their living room, on the living room couch. Mm -hmm. And then he literally, uh, he was sick and he defecated all over himself and it was like one of the scariest and craziest Holy things that shit. ever happened because i remember watching him and thinking wow my dad's going to like be with this lady you know and she yeah. was like wealthy and i don't even know why she even liked us but she did and then he was sick you know mm. and then i was so afraid to try to go to help or anything because he was like 
he had cancer and he was getting real sick. I didn't know. Wow. But it was a that anyway. That story took kind of a weird turn, but yeah, yeah it did. that's just life, you know. But it yeah, was, it was like a moment where there was just a lot of life at. But once. so uh, one interesting way you put it is you say what she didn't know why she liked us. So you and your dad were like a unit. You were like a team. Like so, did when he left. When your mom, when your mom and him divorced, you went with dad. No, I stayed with my mom, but I always felt like my dad was just more loving. Yeah, my mom has like kind of like an emotional kind of autism. Like she can't yeah. like show you affection, kind of. That's hard. Yeah, and um, a lot of parents like that. It's hard. Is there? Yeah, yeah. So it was just kind of like, but she's a hard worker and stuff. But anyway, it was uh. So then, and I was kind of infatuated by my dad because nothing he did. He was older, so everything was off a little. It didn't yeah. make sense. Mm -hmm. um, and it was kind of, I think it was more fascinating, you know, being around him. Yeah, I felt that way about my dad a little bit because <clears throat> he wasn't like any of my friends' dads. He was a strange guy. He was a Mexican and, um, and Did he very look serious Mexican? dude. Yeah, a bit like a European Mexican, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of different kinds of Mexicans. Um, I lived there till I was about seven. Oh, nice. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he was weird. So I kind of like I was fascinated by him. But I he didn't show much interest. He I, I just remember him always looking at his eye level. Mm. Like he didn't look down at me much. I just always looked up at his face, and he was looking that way. Wow! And what does that do to you? Well, it's uh, hard. But I feel more bad for him because he didn't. He was alone up there. I didn't think about that. I do now because yeah. he's you know very very old and in a chair like this and he's alone no we don't we don't go see him much me and my sisters yeah and my mom i mean when she was she died and in her last year of life when she was you know we were like there and kept her in our houses and kept took care of her till the last second she had us all around her mm. never alone because she was just was a a loving person and she you know you wanted to be with her oh wow <clears throat> but my dad was all fucked up in his own head and he was you know i mean narcissism is like a it's a sickness yeah and it's isolating and it's very sad you know i feel bad for him now i'm able to feel bad for him because he, he was um it was painful to be his kid you know physically and mentally so um but i'm past that 55 years it takes a long time to you know were you surprised how long it took to get past that kind of stuff because i find it's interesting a lot of our audience is like kind of guys that kind of like are fit, still figuring things out it's kind of like a lot yeah. of late bloomers yeah i think and no judgment to any of the listeners but um yeah i think a lot of young men are stuck in this time where it's like yeah we're fake it's almost like you're figuring your shit out your parents shit out it's like mm -hmm. it's almost come to like this kind of like curve in the pipe where it's like we got to kind of figure the shit out in here yeah i think that's right and i think uh it's hard i, I don't think you can rush it i don't think i think yeah. it happens later because something comes loose it just does it's nothing you can figure out it's nothing where you can go oh i mean you think about it once in a while. some and also you spend a lot of life avoiding it right so like my when I was a young dad and stuff, I just pushed my dad away. I just didn't want to think about him, so I just decided he didn't matter anymore mm. for years. And like when I was little, I remember he was spanking me once, which is now to me a really odd thing. Is a, a man's hand spanking a fucking bear ass yeah, of a yeah. child, a little bony? I can't fathom it now. Yeah, put pants on grown, that kid. Yeah, man, don't. What are you doing? It's really gay and weird yeah, and upsetting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I remember being spanked so fucking hard. Like it was, it was like blackout spank. Like I can't handle this. And I remember thinking to myself, I think I was about nine. 
I thought the day I get a wallet, like oh, that was the magical thing. Yeah. The day I get a wallet <laughs> with that money in it yeah. and cards yeah. and that set of keys, mm. the second I have that, I ain't never gonna look at this person again in my life. I'm getting wow. away from this guy as soon as I have those. That's all you need. So you had a lot, you were really, you were, re it really. Yeah, I really didn't like being around him. And my mother divorced him when they were, when I was 10. So then I had a lot of years just with mom where he was around and he would ask for attention sometimes. And I didn't, I wasn't afraid of him anymore, but I, but he made me uncomfortable. I didn't like being around mm. him. There's a lot of good things about my dad and I, I owe him a lot. Um, yeah, totally. You know, and he, he created you. He did. And he also devoted a lot of life to, you know, he was Mexican and he, his, our family in Mexico, they do okay. And they have some influence and they have, you know, he had a better life there, but he moved to America. It's sort of the opposite of most immigrants mm -hmm. that he went from Mexico where he was pretty well established to America where he had no tools mm. to survive and where he didn't get the culture. But he did it because my mom was the strong one in the family. My mom worked really hard, and she she raised us and and supported us. Wow! So uh, so he he is picking my mom instead of somebody in Mexico, and that's how I got to be in in, in the Here. land of opportunity. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, man. How the, how a, a lot of times it's our a, a previous generation had to kind of take an L. They <clears> had to like really. That's right. Some so people that have you to could do have that. it. You know, it's hard to imagine. Imagine that in your own life. Could I'm gonna imagine. do something shitty. Yeah. Oh. I'm gonna move to Toledo so my son can Nah, yeah. fuck you, yeah. kid. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna go to Vegas and just keep trying to win. Yeah, I'd rather sell my ass on the internet. Yeah, dude. fuck that. Take my chances. But I, I then I so I went through years of like not wanting to think about him. And then I once in a while I would check in with him and see maybe we have something and he'd feel the same and I gotta want it. And he didn't even seem interested sometimes, and mm. that was shitty. Um, but then, and my mom, meanwhile, took care of him. She, after they divorced, she kept, cause he was kind of a mess. And I learned from that, from watching my mom do all the way to the end. You know, my mom, when she was dying, she provided for him and wow. stuff. And I learned about her from that. And I asked her about it. I, cause, cause she had no reason to be with the guy anymore. They had been divorced since I was 10. And now, you know, this was a few years ago. And she said, I want to send a message to him with, she was leaving him some money. She said that he's, I want to send him a message that he's not alone in the world. Mm. Now that I'm gone, somebody gives a shit about him. And because that's a, that's a promise she made him when she married him. And even though they divorced, she's, she's still honored that promise, even wow. though he didn't stay to his side or whatever. And so that helped me. Like I was a, that was a, that was a, a role model for me, my mom later in life. And then after she died, I was about to say left, uh, my <laughs> after she left, yeah. after she left me by ceasing to breathe. Yeah, that's great. And yeah. some guys probably think that, Yeah, too, like, fuck you, mom. Yeah, I needed on. you, bitch. <laughs> yeah. After she died, my sister and I, who were were at her uh, a memorial that we had for her, and he came, and, and neither of us had seen him for a long time. Wow. And we were talking. We were standing in a room talking about we, we should uh, – um, where are we going to put him so we don't have to be near him? And then he walked up with a cane, and we were both like, fuck, come here. And we sat with him. And then we had this interesting affection for him because mom is gone. She would have wanted us to be good to him. Mm. And he was so weak. And he was so – and I just felt 
bad for him and I felt a tenderness for him. So I go to see him once in a while in this place where he lives. And the last time I saw him, I just let, I let go of everything. It just all went away. And now I just feel this tenderness. I just feel so sorry, sorry for the guy. Um, all that's left, all anger and guilt, all those bad feelings, they burn away with time. Mm. They all burn away completely. And so I'm just left with who's I sort of fascinated by him now. I look at when he talk, he, he struggles to talk, and I look at his face and watch it struggle, you know. And I feel I feel for him, you know. Anyway, long answer, sorry, but <clears throat> no, but it's kind of a beautiful answer. It's about how life is, you know. It's like it's funny when you go back to see like kind of the dragon, whatever the dragon is, and time has mm -hmm. affected it and it's changed. And yeah, it's like, all time. It's gonna. I mean, for your listeners that are struggle with it, it's like you can't rush it. And and it's okay if you have blocks and stuff. You'll you'll. I mean, you can trust yourself a little bit. You know what I mean. You'll yeah. get there. You'll get there when it's time. Yeah, I think uh, I I have I, I had a lot of like I was ashamed of my dad a lot. I think because of his age, and so I think I had for a while I had some issues with that. But even over time, that kind of went away. You notice how I would kind of like probably look at him, or I would introduce him to people as my grandfather. Just little mm -hmm. things that it's like. You know, I start to think, well, I wonder how that affected him or um, I don't know. It's interesting, man. I, I just love all that kind of stuff, like how people relate to one another and and especially from our parents growing up. Did you wish you had a dad like other kids' dads that were like younger and stronger and more dad like dad like or more? a little bit? But then like some one dude's, you know, his dad like held up the ready made with a shotgun for pills, you know, so it was like. <laughs> My dad just like bought a my dad bought a Cutlass like a Delta eighty eight. Remember those cars? Yeah, sure, I remember them well. Yeah, and pull one up. Zach. Long car. Yeah, it was. Uh, oh yeah. Well, he had a long kind of rectangular car, wasn't it? Well, he had. Yeah, some of the early ones were. He had a good LTD too for a while. Yeah, those were fucking. They just that hood. Oh, you you, you could just live on that. God, hood. Dude, it was so it was warm in there. Crazy. There were always like four cats in there. Yeah, sure. And they would stay in while we drove somewhere. Like it was like. It was those um, cars floated too, man. Oh, they were comfortable. Oh yeah, I loved cars like that. Oh, I feel like you get yeah six blocks and you're pregnant in that bitch. Yeah, Depending that was a dad car when I was a kid. Yeah. But then when I was in high school, everybody would have those. Like kids would have those, yeah. and they'd spray paint them whatever you know with cans of spray paint. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they were like badass fucking cars. <laughs> I mean, the bumper is like this thick and it's pure oh, steel. It was fucking. It was like make it made of iron that car. Oh, they were so good. About and three miles to the gallon. My dad bought his off a couple like brothers that lived around a corner in our neighborhood. And so it had like these big speakers in it, right? Mm -hmm. And so he would drive and he couldn't even hear, right? They had like 22s in the trunk. Mm -hmm. And so he would be listening to like Paul Harvey and like uh, whatever that is, NPR or something. <laughs> yeah. He was with NPR. Or maybe it's just Paul Harvey. What is that? Yeah, I don't even know who that is. Uh, good day. Remember that guy on the radio? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or maybe yeah. it was like Rush Limbaugh, right? Oh, he listened to Rush. Okay, Rush Limbaugh and NPR are very different. Oh, they are. So yeah. he would listen to Rush Limbaugh or those guys, and then it would be like, uh, but it would be with bass, right? Uh -huh. Like, so he would just be driving around, <laughs> fucking listening to like insane, like with a real bottom to it. Oh, Rush Limbaugh. It was unbelievable, yeah. and he always had like this old. His car was just stacked with just bullshit because he, my dad got this job like going to like he would go to college and sign people up for credit cards like that uh -huh. guy or whatever. Oh. And that was one of the first places he would take me there with him when I was like 11 or 12. He even let me drive him because he was fucking like, you know, at that point he's 82. Wow. So, uh, so as soon as I was about like five, maybe 
six or seven, he let me drive him over there. And then I would stand on the table and like bark at people to come over and get the credit card thing. Yeah. And I think maybe that's where some of like my first semblance of like getting on stage or like yeah. saying stuff or whatever kind of came mm -hmm. from. Um, but yeah, that kind of stuff, man. I, I love thinking about growing up and what happened and, and how it affects us now. Mm -hmm. um, we had, uh, man, there was one other little story I was going to tell you. Let me see if I can think of it for one second. Dad and the shot guy was held up a store with a shotgun. <clears throat> oh yeah, dude. The the other parental role models in our neighborhood, it was pretty bad. You'd have yeah, a lot of yeah, men. I, I wouldn't have traded my dad for other dads. I wouldn't have. Yeah. I did like that. I do feel lucky that I had a weird dad. I, that I had an unusual father. Uh, my mom used to say that he's not boring, you know, <laughs> and it makes you who you are. I mean, you're from a you have a very specific background and a very, very you know. A very rare upbringing, and that's a great thing for you now. Right, right, yeah. At the time, it felt painful, but now yeah. I realize, wow, this was all uh, part of the plan. That's right. Um, we had that. Now, I did admire like that Magnum PI dad with mm -hmm. the fucking like, I mean, just the hair coming up oh, yeah, around yeah. the bottom of the shorts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the hair was like trying to get back up to his yeah. mustache. You know, it was like, <laughs> yeah. This hair has a plan. That's like right. Like fucking dude. And, his, and we had to go out there and push this one dude. Glenn, his dad, had that big uh, dish, that direct TV dish. Oh, yeah, sure. And we had to push that bitch to get the porn. So we'd have to go out there oh. and fucking, you had to earn it, you know? Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'd have to get that Cinemax and we'd fucking put your yeah. shoulder into it or you couldn't come. That was the <clears throat> That's right. I remember that uh, Cinemax and that stuff that, I, well, I remember home box office, HBO was the first thing. And I mean, I don't know. How old are you again? I'm 42. Okay, so I'm 55. And I remember first there was just television. I don't know. You probably don't go back that far. It was just terrestrial. I mean, there was just... The antennas? Antennas. Yeah. And uh, no TV got really good reception. No TV on the in the world. Really? Got a reliable picture. I mean, that's the way I remember it. It was just right. always maybe some rich people... <clears throat> but you're still beholden to weather, you know, phones didn't sound so good. Like everything was a little wow. wonky and um, the channels were, you know, whatever different cities, but it was usually like two, four, five. And so it was like yeah, ABC, CBS and NBC. Right. And then Fox came along and it was like, that's interesting. And then you have this UHF channels, which was this other dial You'd put the your your dial that just has seven numbers on you, uh -huh. and UHF had like fifty channels that were a different frequency, and those were local stations that had like like movie like a lot of them showed the local sports would be there. Right uh, in Boston, it was Channel Thirty Eight was the Red Sox, and then they had Movie Loft where they'd show old movies. Uh -huh. So that's where you could see stuff like that with thousands of commercials and stuff. Right, <clears throat> but then HBO came along, and it was a box that you put on top of your television it was oh that's why they call it home box, box office. office yes home box office and also the idea of like a, a box office like you're going to a movie and uh and it had an antenna i think and it had an it but it scrambled and it brought in a hbo as a scrambled channel and this thing was the decoder wow. i think it was still by antenna at first um and they had like dirty movies violent movies Wow. Stand-up comedy with cursing. Yeah. And boxing. And it was fucking incredible. And then another company called Starcase came along, and they were competitors, but they both... And then they then they had a cable, and it was like, we'll bring it to you in a cable. And then cable TV was like everything coming in on this crazy cable, hundreds of channels and all that stuff all at once. But 
But that was that thing that HBO did was like, you know, we're gonna, you could see anything here. That changed the game. Yeah, because you otherwise you wait till the movie comes through town. And right. There wasn't, you know, and around then, v, then VCRs started up and then you could get it, you know, those cassettes. And uh, yeah, we had VHS as I remember VHS, was yeah. big, you know, we had to ride our bike <clears> to go get it. And they had that porn room. Remember the room? Sure. Yeah, I the, worked at a video store. Oh, you did? When I was a kid, when I was in high school. Wow. So I got a little overly too quickly exposed like i mean we had a porn room oh and i would run the the guy that owned the, owned the store was just he just gave me the keys like i he made me run the store oh my god so yeah dude. after i would wait i would like look at the clock waiting for it like i just wanted to close so i could open so i could go in the back room in his office and just fucking just oh. jizz oh. everywhere i would have fucking licked the boxes i think yeah dude. it was real it was a lot Oh, I remember seeing some. One guy chiseled some tits into a fucking tree in our neighborhood, right? And like back what? in these woods behind our fence. And so he what? Had chiseled a fucking set of oh bangers, homie. <laughs> some fucking milk muffins, daddy. He fucking chiseled a pair with. The, this, you mean like an artist? Like he? he yeah, or like a I don't know what it's called. Like What's that thin chisel with the little flathead on it? Oh, I, yeah, I don't know what his tools were or whatever. But this guy was pretty good, I would say, probably. And then, but people would go out there and come, you know, ejaculate no to it. Oh, you'd see there was porn magazines back there, and it was on this little hill, kind of. So it almost had this. <laughs> That's incredible. Native, or think people. I think people said it was Native American or something, but I don't know. If but you didn't. You knew the guy that did it, though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Amazing, dude. I'll tell you another story about the same guy. So he, one time, me and my buddy, this kid Summerall, were walking down the street, and it, but it was a tree though, so it was like a living tree. Yeah. And there was tits on it that yeah. he chiseled. And not, I mean, and it, folks would come and jack off to it. Yeah, I don't know it. how many folks. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like people yeah. would like buses wouldn't stop. Yeah, it wasn't like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you call it? The but if, Graceland or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But if you knew, you knew. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, um, and this was also woods, and people used to go to the woods to jerk off. Huh. And that was something you'd find. I think in any town you hear people, there's pornography in the woods. It used to be yeah. people would bury a stack of yes, nudie mags. Yes, I found a stack of porn. That's in the woods. Yeah. That was the first, thing I, first time I ever saw any of that. Yeah, and we had a, they had an empty broken washing machine right there, and people would put the porn in there. Right. And so uh, you'd get the, you know, get your fuck, you know, get that deal out. And then... Now, the first porn I ever jerked off to was some girl, her tits... In shorts, and she had gra uh, gravel all over it because oh, yeah. because I found it in the dirt. Oh yeah, that magazine <laughs> just like pockmarks <laughs> from the gravel. <laughs> Life is sad, buddy. Yeah, but it's real, dude. Yeah, it is. God, it's and that, and is. look, in some cultures you still find that. You yeah. Know? So go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt you. So what? So no, that I was would, it. There would yeah. be you know you would ejaculate to that, mm -hmm. and uh, but it was a different. Yeah, people would go into the woods. It's almost like. You know, you'd bring it back to nature. Yeah. I mean, my dad, I remember, caught us jerking off one time and made us bury it in the yard, bury the semen in the yard. Wait, well, to make it like um, respectful or something? Yeah. But you would just, you, wait a minute, how did he, he caught, wait, first you said he caught us jerking off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it was, there was, uh, I, it was just me, but I say us, so I don't feel alone, I think. <laughs> I do that a lot. Sure. That makes sense. But so he walked in and you would you would just come on yourself? Yeah. Well, my mother caught me. And then and she, he, so she went to him and said, he's been jerking off. She told him, yeah. She would always kind of rat me out about stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but was the jizz doesn't stay? Like, how did he? No, but he just said, you, wherever this is, you need to take it and put it in the yard. And that was it. So he just kind of 
went like that. And... <laughs> no, 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 it was on a sheet. Oh, it was on a sheet. Okay, yeah. so the thing you came on yeah. had to be buried. But I would kind of weird, it, man. It made me create a respect for him, I think, like as a, and it gave me a, a, a kind of an a, a affinity for nature. Sure, um, you fucked nature in a sense. Oh, dude! I remember my buddy would come over and we would just fucking mount our pillows in the corner, mm-hmm. yeah, different corners of the room. Yeah, when you teenage, well, preteen boys, when they start preteen, yeah, there is there is like a camaraderie in that stuff. Yeah, I had a friend who used to we used to tell each other stories about girls. Like I, I'd sleep over his house, and he'd sleep on his bed, I'd sleep on the floor, and we called it telling each other juicers. That's what we called it, juicer. So like he would tell me, he'd say, you know pick a girl and i'd say you know gretchen yeah and he'd say okay so you you and gretchen are in school and you know you're like you decide to walk home together and you go to her house and he just walk me through this story for us good and then i do it for him with whatever girl he wanted oh i can't even imagine y'all did that for each other yeah we did it was yeah and i don't think that's awesome i don't know if we were coming yet I think it was just about squeezing it and getting this, like, oh. getting this feeling and just listening to what he's saying. And just, it didn't occur to us that, I mean, we were talking about girls. We didn't feel weird about it. We we were good friends, you know? I, I liked him. He was a good kid. And Sounds like it. Yeah. He was, uh, you know, it's just something you do for a buddy. Dude, if I laid on a bunk bed right now and another man laid on the floor and told yeah. me, uh, took me through like a good story, <laughs> I'd probably appreciate it. <laughs> It's so much more real than having to just jerk off to something you see on a screen. Yeah, that's no good. I think that's one of the things that's that never I miss. Been great. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Dude, I remember when I first got an erection, I thought it was poop coming out of the whoa front, and I remember whoa. being so scared. And um, and I told this teacher, and I then I think the teacher might have been like a gay man, mm. and so then I I got this totally weird reaction from him. But I remember thinking that poop was coming out of my, like it had gotten lost. Whoa. And that's what the erection was. That's a terrifying thought. Oh, dude. Because then I was afraid to go pee because I was like, it's going to smell bad. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. Oh. You know, I'm on it. Look at my wig, baby. I'm wigged up and wigged out. I'm wigging. That's right. Keeps. Keeps help you keep your hair. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss. By the time they are 35 years old, that's unbelievable. But it's what's happening. Look at some people. Some of them don't have no hair. And that's hectic, baby. That's really hectic. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to K-E-E-P-S dot com slash T-H-E-O to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash T-H-E-O to receive your first month free that's right each treatment plan comes with a full year of unlimited messaging so you can connect with your medical provider about anything at any time remember prevention is key when it comes to hair loss treatments can take four to six months to see results so act fast i'm feeling mine come back in i'm hitting strong i'm topping out i got a dang garden baby i'm sharecropping to keep your hair Go to K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Theo to receive your first month of treatment for free. You know, starting off the new year with uh, some attainable goals is what I try to do. I want something attainable. I want to drink more water. I want to budget better. 
You know, I want to set aside some time where if I want to have a candy, I'm going to have a candy. I'm not going to feel bad. I'm not going to, you know, whine about her or, uh, or threaten anybody because I'm angry at myself. I'm just going to have a candy. You can do it. The beginning of the year sets the tone for the rest of the year. And if one of your goals this year is to take control of your credit card debt, now is the time to start. You can use what I've used, Lightstream. They pay off your credit cards faster with a low fixed rate loan. A credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream can help you pay off your credit cards and lock in a low fixed interest rate. I think that's key. If you have one that's at 24% and one that's at 17%, you got to get out of that. Lock them all in. Rates start at 7.99% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. Plus the rate is fixed, so it will never go up over the life of the loan. And that is what is magical from Lightstream. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000. There are absolutely no fees. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. Just for my listeners, apply now to get a special interest rate discount and save even more. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash T-H-E-O. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Theo. If you think that your rates may be too high, just check it out. See what's there. See what's possible. Subject to credit approval, rates range from 7.99% APR to 23.99% APR and include 0.50% auto pay discount. Lowest rates require excellent credit. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Theo for more information. No, I was uh, I grew up in a house uh, like we had half a house. We only we had we rented the bottom half of a house. So mm-hmm. it was just all one level with rooms off of the so we were all kind of crowded out of three sisters and my mom. Oh. And so when I kind of came online, it was hard to hide it because I was just in my room and whatever stuff was going on. And they all kind of became aware of it and that was horrifying to me. Oh. It was horrifying. That my mom and sisters were like aware that like I think I heard them say, "Oh, he's well." That's what my mom likes was just cheerfully saying, "Well, boys have to touch their penises, leave them alone." And she's like, <laughs> and I'm like, "Stop, mom," because my mom was just too nice, you know. Right. Like she, I had Playboys hidden, like hidden as hard as I could hide them. Oh yeah, in under my bed, in the I found a way to put them in the slats or whatever. But I'm I was a boy, so sometimes I would just jerk off and then just leave wow. the room. And so one day I came home and my mom had cleaned my room and she stacked my Playboys for me, like stacked them nicely. And I was, it was just an acknowledgement of my sexuality that I did not, I was not okay with. It was horrible. I I appreciate it now. Yeah. But. uh, Man, that's so interesting. Yeah. It's like our sexuality. We don't, we, it really is. It's yours. And mm-hmm. it's like kind of the only thing that you, especially like in American culture, you know, yeah. it's very hidden. It's like, I don't know. It's the only thing that I had. Like, mm. I remember, yeah, I don't know. Uh, some Whatever you're saying, it kind of makes me feel something. It's like, that's my thing. I think I felt a lot in the world. Like I didn't have a, like everything else was up to someone else. Right. Like the environment I was put into, mm-hmm. the family I had to live with. The financial circumstance, uh, the you know, 
Wikipedia files or whatever in our area. All of that shit was somebody else's doing, you know? But this thing... It's mine. It's mine, you know? That's and, a very profound thing you're saying. It's very true. And so I think, because I've always had a tough time with, like, sexual connection, you know? Yeah. Like, like in my 20s, I, I couldn't even, like, I had, like, so much sexual anxiety in my 20s, it was, like, hard to even engage, you know? Yeah. So it was, yeah. like... um. But man, yeah, it's just interesting to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah, because then you have you take this, you discover this thing, and it is yours in in a wilderness, in a world like you're saying. I think it's like that for any kid that age. Uh, and then you have this weird task of taking that into the world and offering it to somebody else, right? And bringing it to their mind and combining it, and that's very scary. And everybody has a hard time with that, I think. I think that's fundamentally why people have like societally, societally issues with sex and why there's always sexual puritanicalism comes from one place or another. Yeah. Is because everyone has is just not sure how to handle that thing because it's so tender. It's yeah. like a very like I did once, and it's not something I talk about a lot because it's very private for me, but I did um uh the psychedelic drug like therapy once you know mm -hmm. like treatment with like, like ketamine no it was uh, mdma mm -hmm. and I, I did it with mushrooms too but i put on uh you know a blindfold so it's not like molly where you're at a party or something but right. i went in deep and i saw this version of my sexuality which was like i saw myself as this baby like floating in space kind of like with nothing around mm -hmm. and then not directly from the dick part but kind of like the umbilical cord like somewhere in between was this like purple like cord and I saw it as kind of like a lifeline but also an outgoing thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I saw it as like incredibly fragile mm. and like if you could have taken a bow from a violin and, and rung on it, it would have like made a crazy like, you know, this sorrowful sound. Oh. Like it was just like, and I saw it as like this deep want but also something ancient about it, like to be, I thought, and the thought I had in my head was you need to um, respect that and you need to pity it, like at the same time. Wow. It helped me a lot to look yeah. at it that way and to see it as something that, just be careful with that. It comes from a very deep longing, but also a weird wisdom. Like there's so much shit mixed in that. Yeah. And it's so... Like you passed out the first time that you encountered it. It's like it's just so much. Yeah. And you're given it as a boy, as a fucking boy. You're going, here it is. Here's the craziest thing in the whole world, and it's yours now. But it is. It's it's yours. So, yeah, I mean, to take that and 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 combine it with somebody else and say, I want to share this with you. That is big stuff, man. And, and most right people, now. wear they wear a lot of armor when they do it. Yeah. They wear a lot of armor. They would do a lot of, they become somebody else kind of people sexually a little bit, or you you play a role, or you do something to uh, to to come at it in a way that you know you're going to survive it and be okay and be, you know what I mean, but satisfy it. It's, a, it's, it's untangleable. It's a fucking mess for everybody. Wow, it is. It is untangleable. Yeah, I had a I had a girl just kind of break up with me recently. I just started kind of dating, and we just kind of started, and then she fucking shut it down. That's but I bad. remember being, yeah, thanks, man. Um, I I remember being like, <clears throat> the part that kind of upset me the most was I told her that I liked her. Huh. 
And it was like, it was just so much risk in that for me. Like yeah. admitting that I, yeah, for some reason there was just so much vulnerability around that. Huh. Like I'm going to say, I like you. Because I was afraid that the truth would be that she didn't like me. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to some of those like, pri- like this kind of pain that's not even, I don't even know if it's mine. But it's just been in my fucking cyst, in my DNA or somewhere mm-hmm. that, that, yeah, you're going to share. You're going to say, here I am. Yeah. And somebody's going to say, not today, right? You can sip out the creamer, That's but weird, we need you to weird, because you're a comic. Leave. Because I don't ha- I don't, that I don't have. I don't, I love telling women I like them. Really? I love it. Wow. And I, since I was a kid, I was like that. When I started liking girls... I walk up to him and say, "You're just beautiful and you're great, and I want to, I want to go out with you or whatever." And then I, in junior high school, before I'd ever kissed a girl, I I learned a thing, which was that all the hottest girls, the top shelf girls, they'll talk to you. They like people. You know what I mean? Like they'd be aloof if you're trying to pick them up. Mm-hmm. But I started making friends with them, mm. and I got to know them really well. Like I talk on the phone for hours with like the hottest girls. What? And I just liked being near them. I just liked knowing them, you know? Yeah. And I would tell them, like, I'm, I'm, I would tell them I'm attracted to them, but I accepted that it wasn't, you know, just I wasn't in the market, you know, right. the marketplace. But I never, it never bothered me, the thing of telling, I like it. If I meet a woman I like, I kind of want, I, I have to, I, I've had to learn how to slow down and not tell her too soon. I want to tell her right away. Yeah. I want to tell her before I meet her. I want to literally send out a mail now. Yeah, yeah. You just want to say, "Hey, you, I, I want, I want you. I like you. I, I, you're great. This yeah. the thing about your face, particularly the way you walk. Yeah, because uh, that admiration is just a huge, huge thing. Yeah. But it never bothered me to be rejected. It never bothered me. Wow, you know? that's no, aw- that's, that's amazing. Because nice. most women, uh, even the snottiest women, would be nice about it. You know, if you go up to the head cheerleader and like, mm. you want to be my girlfriend, she's like, aw. She's like, no. give me an N, give me an O. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get her, but you know, you get to have a moment with her. That's true, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was nothing better than like making a beautiful girl laugh. That was always like, that's, if you could do yes, that. That's big. It was like, what? This is a way that I can get to women somehow. Like, mm-hmm. this is a way, this is the only way I have to, com- it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's something in that. We're all just trying to use some some way to get to one another, you know? That's right. Um, it's natural. It's how you, you figure out what's good about you, and then you put it out there. You go, yeah. "Here's my thing." Shops it's like open. The, yeah, like the the uh, angler fish that has a glowing. He's got a thing, and it glows. That's Ang- his lure. Uh, oh, it is deep sea angler fish. It's the ugliest fish in the world. Bring he's him got up. A, uh, I, I think it's called a deep sea angler, and he's got a little stick on his head with a glowing thing on it. And it's a wiener. Yeah, he lures. It's he lures chicks. Oh yeah, oh, that's actually the woman. So what happens is crazy. Oh. What's fascinating? I just saw this the other night on a show. That fish mm-hmm. floats around with that thing on her head, and these the dude is really small. The dude is like this the size of like her jaw, and the dude find, sees that and also gets this smell. She puts a smell in the in the water, oh. and he follows her and he sees the light. And this these folks live in total darkness. They're in the, they can't see that they're so below the surface. There's no light, and they're still coming down there. They're still down there having a fight. Yeah. God, so insane. so she she floats around just like this with those fucked up eyes in the dark, 
And this dude sees when he sees that glow, like he's in darkness, and then he sees that glow, and he's like, "Pussy, like <laughs> pussy." And it's the odds are so low for him because if he's not a fucking great swimmer, he sees the glow, but then he watches it fade, and he's fucked, and he dies. Oh, but God. the best of the anglerfish, this is how they select. He can get to it, and he smells. He get the, he uses the smell and the light. And then he latches himself. He's got teeth uh-huh. that latch under her belly. Oh. And he keeps biting and biting, and she fights him because like she Albert. only wants the best. Yes, exactly like Marv Albert biting that ass. <laughs> he didn't know what he really was, you know? And then he finally latches on, and then his face becomes part of her belly, and they fuse. What? And then he's fused to her by the mouth for the rest of his life. And where's this happening in Vegas? <laughs> I mean, for you could get anything in Vegas. No, that's but un- then then her Jesus. bloodstream is feeding him. No, and she she eats. She does life, and it goes into him. And he just lay. He just sits there and comes. He just constantly comes out of his mouth into her belly and gets food back. And he's done. He's like, I don't need a fucking thing. Wow. This is yeah, like the ultimate fucking that kind of guy who finds a woman and latches. He just latches on. And they need that lifelong connection because it's so hard to find each other. Because of the so, darkness. Yeah, so she can't because she can't keep looking for new guys. So this is it for them. God, dude, yeah. that's honestly one of the most romantic things I've ever it is. heard it's in a weird beautiful, way, right? But yeah. it's that glow. So I don't know. Yeah. So everybody's got their. You got whatever your glow is. You figure out this is my thing, and you put it out in the world, whatever it is. No, and st- laughing, making girls laugh is. I remember being in a at some party in high school. With kids, always I always felt like everybody was cooler than me. But these were dudes that were like with girls, yeah. and everybody was cool. And I was just kind of I was starting to do drugs, yeah. And I was starting to get cynical and not like stuff. And I was starting to get kind of crabby about life, you Which know. Which has worked out well for you. It has. Yeah. And so these girls, really cute girls, were with these guys, and they were all and they're all being dudes. They're like yeah. wearing shirts that show off their shoulders, and they're tanned, dudes. and their shoes fit. Yeah, perfectly. Yeah. And they're like cool dudes. And they're starting to get a little sensual, like, you know, getting into, like their haircuts are a little 80s and stuff. And they're all talking. One of them said something like, I don't remember the words, but he said something like this, like impressive. Yeah. And I said like something like this, like, fuck you. Like, yeah, yeah whatever, buddy. But I said it well. And the two girls died laughing. Like wow. they were, they had tears. They were like, oh my God. Because I just destroyed yeah. the dude that they kind of wanted. Yeah, Bryce. Yes, Bryce got fucking, and, and Bryce looked at me like, what just happened? No, None of the dudes understood what just happened. Yeah, who's this wizard? Yeah, and I was, sta- they were all sitting in a circle, and I was standing above them, and I remember looking down at these girls and going, I have a fucking power that none of these guys have. Like, I just made them come. Wow. And there's no way you guys have made these girls come yet. They're all, everybody's like 17, you know? Yeah. But there is that feeling when you're on stage, you see like a guy and a girl, and the girl's just crumpled, and you're like, I'm fucking your girlfriend right in front of you. Yeah. It is. That's a win. Yeah, it is. That's a win. Yeah, it's like you have to get seen somehow. You have to get – I'm trying to think of – I would do it. I I got people to laugh because I didn't trust the world very much, and so Mm -hmm. I knew if people were laughing that they couldn't not like me and be laughing at the same time. It was like this moment of solace, like – Yes, it feels. It, I, I I recognize that feeling. Yeah, it's like I could take a moment. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about your movie. I want to talk oh. about your show from last night. I have to pee really fast. 
Yeah, I'll pee too if you're gonna Let's pee. Do it. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude, the show was awesome, man. Oh, last night you came to my show. Yeah, man. thanks, man. Thanks. Man, it uh, nice. it is. Yeah, you are a. I mean, it is. I felt like. I felt like I left out of there with like shit on my shoes, kind of, but it was your shit. <laughs> I didn't mean to shit on your shoes. It's not the. Goal. I know you didn't, but that's what happens with comedian, fellow comedians. Yeah, I know what you mean. How, how, how long have you been doing it now? I've been doing it maybe eighteen years. I think. Oh, that's not very long at all. Does it feel? Is, is that true when you say yeah, that? Yeah, that's a really short amount of time. Yeah. I mean, you really you got it all ahead of you. Yeah, I'm starting to feel like that. I, I realize that I need to get out. Like, I love telling stories, so I love yeah. telling stories and. And uh, like Jerry Clower is like my favorite comedian. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but no. he was like, he's one of the best selling comedians ever, like of like uh, albums and stuff. But he was um, like the Southern, he was like this kind of Southern storyteller. Mm -hmm. But I love that kind of stuff. But uh, that's him right there. Yeah, I know that face. <clears throat> yeah. So he, um, but yeah, I walked out and I was like, Jesus Christ, who am I anymore? This is what I felt like walking out of your show. <laughs> like, are my beliefs intact? I remember even going like this when I walked wow. out. Yeah. Um, what get what do you, what gives you a kick when you're up there? Like, do you find like is it still the humor that gives you the kick? Is it an uncomfortability? Is it like a control? Do you have any sense of that kind of? I think uh, it's a lot of things all at once. It's probably why I like it because there's a shitload of things firing at the same time. You know, it's a lot, and but I'm in control of it. And in the ways that I'm not are exciting. It's like sailing in a way. It's like I know how to do all this stuff, but I'm still, you know, the wind's still coming in like, <laughs> and I'm like, ah, and I'm healing a little. And I'm like, I don't know, guys. But I've been, I've also got that veteran kind of, I've seen this, I've seen this. I know right. how this goes. And, uh, and the, uh, you know, some shows are more fun than others. The night before I shot this last night for a special. That's was, right. And, and that's coming out when? Like probably February, but I'm 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 doing the Madison Square Garden at the end of this month. Okay, on January 20th, and I'm live streaming that show on my website, and people will be able to buy it there. Bu buy, buy a it. ticket. Yes, they'll be able to buy the show and watch it for like ten days. Then I'm taking it down. I just want to share that night. Wow, because I used to play the garden all the time. I haven't been there in years, and I don't want to return to that. To that, I don't want to be an arena comic. I don't like the kind of pro circuit thing anymore. I just want to do stand-up because I love it. Mm. But I got back there, and we sold it out. I'm doing it in the round. I'm standing in the center. And so I want to just do it that one night so I can really appreciate it for what it is. Because when mm. I used to do it a lot, it was like I just take the subway and do the garden. And, I, and there's a sadness that I didn't see how great that was. And now I understand how great it was to have that opportunity. So... Uh, coming back there, I'm calling that special back to the garden, and uh, and so folks can live stream and watch it during the show. Wow! And then I'll leave it up for like ten days just to stream, but then it'll come down and go away. But what I shot last night is it'll be the same material, but that's be my that's the special for this year. And that's that'll like go on your album. website. That'll go on the website for ten bucks. Yeah. So, <sighs> dude, yeah. yeah, I would come. Yeah, anybody. I, I like. I, I all. I think I would maybe watch it again, and that's insane for somebody to yeah. say to, these days. To watch anything again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because there's so many things, it's like it really is just so many levels of what's going on. You know, I worked hard on this show, and and but anyway, but so the night before we did two nights because when you do right. a special, so I did uh, Saturday night, and that was fucking cream puff. That was just like. 
being massaged. It just felt so good. Wow. Like I just felt like it was easy. And I'm just like, I'm on this one. I'm like, like a kind of surfer who touches the water wall while he's in there. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like not the guy who's like this, but the guy who's like, yeah. he's just doing this on the, on the, while he's in the tube, you know? Yeah. Oh he's yeah. He's kind of like caressing, just touching the nipple yeah. of the ocean, you know? <laughs> like that's what Saturday night felt like. And everything was just, it, I didn't have to think about anything. And it was the, the perfect thing for me is when I'm really feeling the things I'm saying. 100%. I'm not in my head about how's this show going, what comes next, how do I say this, is the pace good? I'm really thinking like, here's what I feel about Jesus. Like, and yeah. I really feel it. And it was, it just was sublime and great. Um, and last night was not as easy. Like, and, it, and coming off of that was hard. That's hard too, because yes. you can't, yeah, you can't replicate the, you can't cheat your brain to know that you weren't on that. No, you can't. On that high. You can't. And you, and you have to, I mean, it all comes with experience. So some early times in my life, a great show could ruin a, a bad show because the bad one, I just go, what, where are you? What happened? But once you know, like to me, it's like the show's going to be as good no matter what. I'm going to get the same outcome every single show. The difference is going to be how much. How do I have to work for it? You know, how hard mm. do I have to? So last night it was like, all right, you fucks. And I had to really more, I felt like I had to really try harder. Uh-huh. And probably when I edit it, the second show will probably be the better show for watching. Because it's not fun to watch a comedian be like, hey, man, this is great. It's yeah. not the comfort of a comedian is not funny. Yeah, it's watching the guy test the water to see if it's cold. It's not as much the guy sitting in the hot tub. That's right. And, but the thing I guess, one of the things I love is going places, because there's some places where you know the laughs are. There's some places we know everybody laughs at. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to say those things and be good at them and get the laughs that you knew were coming. But I like taking people places where they, they don't even like to think about. They don't even like to let alone talk about it or let alone hear about it in a show. No. But I know what's going to come. I know it's going to be okay. So I don't, I'm okay with it's, there's great power as a comedian and being okay with uncomfortable feelings, with being okay with that you just brought something up and they're like, fuck. And that it gets tight in there. And to know that that tightness is useful and that there's a place to take that. Uh-huh. And then when they start to calm down a little bit, they're like, I don't even know where I am now. This is a weird, this, you see it in their faces. Like, like I've never laughed at this before. And so I now I'm in a new place in my mind. That's I think a very powerful thing about comedy. Yeah, because it's an opportunity to say stuff that's not appropriate. That's not all a comedy is on some level of saying something you shouldn't have said. It's either you're saying something because it's too private, like mm-hmm. it's too you're sh- oversharing, mm-hmm. or which people love that you're just gonna I'm gonna tell you this fucked up. You do that a lot. It's just like I'm gonna tell you something really personal. Yeah, you need to know. It. So you shouldn't have said that. Because usually in real in a real regular conversation or in politics or whatever, you don't say things like that. The other you shouldn't have said is because it's so stupid. It's just a stupid <laughs> thing. Everybody knows that's not true. What are you saying? Yeah. The other one is that's fucking crazy. That's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. These are all different kinds of humor, but they're all based in saying something you shouldn't have said. And then, then the other one is like, man, that's not cool. That's not cool to say that. Nobody <laughs> likes that. <laughs> that makes people mad. And then there's just like, that's wrong. That's that's morally wrong to say that. Yeah. And all of those things, if you can take people to those places, which are all fear places, fear of intimacy, 
fear of the insane, which is a good, interesting kind of fear, you know, fear of the of 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 truth or fiction, you know, and uh, and fear of of uh, uh, castigation by by the masses, you know, and fear of mor- morality of of badness. If you can take people to those places and make them laugh, make them happy to be there, give them a, make them feel like this is okay, then suddenly they're there safely. And that's expanding where you're willing to go with your mind, Mm. you know? Because these are just, this is a cage, you know? And it keeps you from seeing life. There's so much to life outside of what you're supposed to be thinking about. That's That's a narrow trip, man, you know? So... Either way, the trip life is short. Right. So if you could do short narrow or you can do short broad, I mean, it's a little highfalutin, but it's how I yeah. feel about it. No. It's, it's honestly how I feel about doing stand-up. Um, it makes sense hearing you say that and watching you. And sometimes also it's just joke. It's just I love the mechanics of jokes. Yeah. I love, like, I just got a new fucking joke. Oh, there's you know? nothing better, dude. Oh. It's literally like pulling something out of your ass and getting yeah. everybody to smell it and they like yes, it. and they like it. And now you're like, I have this. Yeah. It, I always think of it as going healed, you know, like in the old West. Like when I once I have a set, like after I put this special out, it'll be I'll be I'll be fucking naked again. I have nothing. Yeah. But when you go back to the club and start getting, then you get a set together and you put the gun belt on. Like I can go anywhere now, you know. It's there's there is there is a power rush to it. I think also, and it makes me feel proud of myself. Like I used to think, for some comedians, it's about love. It's about feeling accepted and loved. But I, for me, it's not that really because I feel weird about that. I feel weird when I feel like when people stand up or they they show a lot of adulation. I don't know what to do. Like, it's not comfortable. It doesn't make sense. That doesn't feel human. Oh, that's interesting. I can relate to that. Yeah. What I feel that's the big thing up there is like I'm doing – I'm so good. I'm good at this. This is I'm nailing this. I'm, na- I'm making them happy. Everybody's happy. The show's good. That's just, I mean, that's very so You're satisfying. making something good. Yeah, it's very satisfying, you know, and I get better and better at it. I tried something I didn't think would work, you know. Like when I keep notes in the beginning of a, a when I'm starting to build a set, there's always a section that's like uh, long shots, you know. Damn. Stuff that's never going to work. You have long shots? Jesus. I mean, that's, well, the thing is those long shots, like things that when I first did them, the bottom would feel like, oh. The crowd's like, no. And I'm like, this is one. This one's going to be hard. But every long shot I ever did Mm -hmm. ended up being the big bits. Wow. Those end up being the solid, killer, never fails, the memorable great bits. Yeah. The bits that I'd start with that were like, this is, that's a slam dunk. That's a slam dunk. They start fading as the set gets more mature. Because you don't love them as much. No. I mean, you like them. Yeah, they're whores. But they're not fucking wedding rings. They're fucking whores. Yeah. Yeah, you're all right. But, you know. Come over if I don't get anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Wow, dude. Yeah. I uh I can I, I could totally understand that. I could see how, yeah, it's about it's interesting that it's not about the affection. It's about getting creating something that makes you feel pride in yourself. Yeah, it's pride in yourself. I mean, it's a little more self love than it is love from them. Yeah. You know, I guess. But that's okay. That's what we need. You know, I mean, we're all just yeah. trying to like find some way to, you know, to feel okay. Um yeah, I noticed. I just started telling more jokes, like talking more about Jews and stuff in my set a little bit. Like, because I've always just been afraid. Because in LA, you can't even say the word. Right. It feels like, like you yeah. just feel scared. Yeah, but I, I didn't scared just now when you said it. Yeah, <laughs> I just didn't have any Jewish people by us growing up. So to me, it's just like. But yeah. my Jewish friends are like, dude, this fucking shit is great. It's like, yeah. but for so long, I was just so scared to even. Well, here's why your Jewish friends like it because they never hear it, and the the thing is, 
the best way for people to get to know each other is to hear the voice of somebody who finds they're alienated from a group and talking about them. Like, like I remember years ago, Tracy Morgan, and I want to like get him and re in trouble, whatever. Let's oh, he'll say, find a way. Yeah. Let's see. He did a joke about if his son was gay mm-hmm. and he said, uh, I'm going to love him. If my son is gay, I'm going to love him. Like any father loves any son. But if he comes in the room and is like, hey, daddy, I'm going to stab that little in the throat. Oh, <laughs> now I just caused 70 problems. But the bit was so brutal. And he got he was like an early version of like, you can't say that. And he had to go to like homeless gay centers and listen to people that were, you know, suffering. And he had to go on a big apology tour wow. and, and they and they shut him down. And I thought that was a shame because there's such an opportunity in that. He's telling you what it's like to be him where he's from. And be and, and by the way, he's describing a conflict. I'm going to love my son, but I don't know how I'm going to handle him acting effeminate because right. my community, my community doesn't honor that, and they think that is weakness. And yet, I'm we're working and living in Hollywood where I, I he's probably met gay people who he looks up to now. So that's why he's got a conflict now. Totally. So he the way he dealt with the conflict is with comedy by punching through it with a funny, brutal phrase. And there's so much to that. There's so much to be learned from that. And for it, it'll help people uh, on both sides. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's for it's it's fun to watch people that don't know a group talk about that group. Yeah, because that's, wow, how, that's you how you learn. See right, yeah, that's, that's how you, that's how you see, see them, huh? Yeah. You go, yeah, man, that's how I see them. I mean, that's where I came from. It's exotic. Yeah. That's the joy of everything. That's yes. That's what gives me any fucking excitement in the world. Like I love thinking. Like I grew up in a you know black white environment, so I love thinking about race and how it mm-hmm. interacts mm-hmm. and just the surprises and mm-hmm. I love that kind of shit. It's what even made me want to get people to laugh. Sometimes was if you could get black and white people to laugh. It was like that's you the were best feeling. Fucking world. Elizabeth Taylor, dude. Like you were. <laughs> that is the doing best feeling. Good. No, and you need an e- you need more of both for it to work. Like if there's one black guy in the room. Home, nobody white will laugh at a race joke. Yeah, but if there's fifty black people in the room, they'll they'll laugh, and then everybody's laughing. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you got to bring forty nine other black people yourself. You need yeah. for yeah. I'm when I worked at uh, well, that's I, that's not a worthwhile story. But uh, at least you know that. See, that's the power of that's the power of the experience, right there. Yeah, yeah. Let's cut bait with that one. That's yeah. not worth it. But I got to tell you something because like last night, so you know the feeling when you do a. Like I don't know how wh- what level you work at with stand up. Like what what's a r- room you would work around here? Not, not like do you do theaters and stuff? Theaters, yeah. Okay. So, but the comedy store. But I mean, yeah. Like I'll do a couple thousand seat venue probably. Okay. So when you do a big show that's like a concert, right? Uh, it leaves me feeling this very dry feeling. Like there's adrenaline in my system, which uh-huh. is uncomfortable. But also now I'm alone. Like suddenly you're backstage, you're alone. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, they're all couples. I mean, I don't. Some guys travel with an entourage, people that keep them warm. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. Yeah. So I have opening acts, but everybody's off in couples and groups having fun, and you're alone all of a sudden. So I'm always left with this fucking. And last night I felt it a lot because I had to put a lot of pressure on last night's show because I needed to get clean up anything I didn't do right night one, and it's for the special, you know. Right. So I was cranky and tired and exhausted. And I went back to the hotel. I felt like shit. And I thought, well, I'm doing this guy's podcast. I don't I don't really know your work. Yeah. Like I know who you, you are. I res- I just automatically respect that you're successful because I know how hard comedy is. Mm-hmm. 
but I thought I don't know the guy. I should hear. I should hear his. I should hear his voice. You know, I should hear. His, so I just, I'm kind of ready for bed. I don't want to do anything. But I put my phone on iTunes. And I found one of your albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a picture of your face as a kid. And what the fuck is it called? Oh yeah. Um, I want to say what it is because. Um, what is this? Where Zach can help? This is. Wait, tell him. No, sorry. Uh, musket fire. Musket, musket fire. fire. So I put on musket fires. I'm kind of getting ready for bed, and Jesus Christ! I mean, I was, I was, I was looking for something to like. Maybe I could pay him a compliment on something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just want to be respectful yeah, yeah, and know who yeah. he is. And I was laughing so fucking hard. I was la- I was just out. I don't know how long it's been since a comedian has done that to me. I was just laughing my ass off. It's also a really good album. Like, it sounds good. And it's, I don't know if this is what years this stuff is from. If yeah, you, it's you, probably from a few years back. Yeah, you're, 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 in, you're like hungry. You're like a hungry comic. Yeah. But you're so, I mean, I'm just looking at the track list so I can remember the bits. The thing, I mean, where the, 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 um, the, where the title comes from, where you said about your father being 70. Oh, yeah. And that there, you're, you were the only sperm. Yeah. And that you had to like shut the window, you had to close up the nuts. Yeah. And then you pass to like a skeleton sperm and you had to sweep up sweep and sweep the floors. Yeah. Oh my God. It was so fucking funny. The, the, and, the, and then this story about uh, Brad Pitt. I mean, you have a shitload of weapons. Oh, yeah. You have like, you know, like I think of comedians as pitchers sometimes. Like some guys have a fastball. Yeah. Some guys are closers, so they just come with heat, you know? And other guys have, they can protect their fastball with off speed stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have. Long stories that you tell that are are da- dizzying. I don't know how you come up with it's like, and every story has it's like a Christmas tree with so many ornaments. Oh, thanks. But man. then also when you're just doing straight ahead observation about life and sex and whatever, just talking generally, which is two two things for comics, is speaking about their experience and their feelings and their experience is one thing but then the other one is like here's how i see the world and you do both with like a fuck it it's strong as fuck i mean thanks I, man i listened to then i listened to the other album the the the, the hamsters in the back oh yeah the, you called it uh uh louisiana ivory or something like that right? oh yeah the, the ivory of arkansas ivory dude of arkansas yeah because they busted a guy with uh hamster bones in our town yeah and you you figured out it must have been like two thousand hamsters yeah. or something we had to have a lot and this story where you're in um, bathing suits with your friend, you're we're, we're in wet bathing suits surrounding a bunch of monkeys in a Wendy's parking lot, which is a p- poem of a sentence. Is there any truth to that story? Did that really yeah. happen? Yeah, that happened in, because uh, our town was where, thank you for the compliment. That's nice of you. Sure. Um, it'll probably be one of the best compliments I ever get. Well, it was it. shocking. I was like, I, how, do, how do I not, how have I never heard this guy? Yeah. Well, fucking great. Thank you. Well, it's crazy how we just don't get, you know, some people you don't know about people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, comedians are single. We're not even like tennis players that are one-on-one. We're just one. Right. We're like kings on the chessboard, you know? You can't can't sit on the side by side squares. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. You kind of just marvel from afar. Yeah. Which I think in a weird way is how I've always connected with people anyway is just this space. Yeah. There needs to be this space, you know, to have a mm-hmm. connection. So getting even closer, even more vulnerable, even with comedy and stuff is a thing that's like, how? that's one thing I'm watching you. I'm like, Jesus Christ, how, what part of this dude is even talking? Like, how is this guy 
<laughs> speaking from the bottom of a fucking wishing well of himself. Like, <laughs> where or what? Like, you're, I, and it's like, I don't even know what part of me is listening to you. It's like, uh-huh. it's like a fucking violent sh- baby yeah. that likes to fuck. <laughs> and, and he, fucking, he's front row and he has no diaper on, dude, yeah. but he's fucking right there. And I'm yeah. like, where has he been? I didn't know he yeah. was in me. And then I see couples watching you yeah. and I'm like, does Louis, I almost feel like he marvels at their ride home in the car. Yeah. I do think about that. Yeah. That's what I, I was do. Thinking. How does the, what do the groups say to each other? What do two guys say to each other? You know, cause there's that, that's hard for people to talk about something like that after I think. They don't want to. They, they don't want to be the first to say they liked it or didn't like it. Yeah. Some people don't like me on in my audience. I can see it. Wow. I see faces of people going like, "This is not cool, man." And they came. I appreciate that they came. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I used to think, like, "Why the fuck are you here then?" Well, because you don't. If you need to look at a f- bunch of faces just loving you, but it's interesting to look at people that are just like you know. And and it's interesting to me that they came. That they came. Yeah, because who what, goes maybe, to something that they don't want to? It's like going to a fire, but being like kind of like yeah. People do. People like to, they want to see. They want to see. That's. I think that's different about comedy than music. Wow. Music, you're a fan. Otherwise, you don't waste your time. But when a comedian gets bigger, I think there are people who are like, well, I want to find out. I, I don't like him or I haven't, I don't like what I've heard. Yeah. But, and there's also people that I, I used to have it more, but you see that there's people who just came because you're, you're, you're a name. Right. And they really didn't pay attention. And some of those people are horrified. You know, I mean, at the height of my career, I had people I could see people leave because they're like, I didn't know he was going to talk about any of this shit. You know, (laughs) and it was weird because the build up to it was just only people who loved what I did. It's a when you get at the first stage of getting notoriety is only devoted fans who love what you do Mm -hmm. telling their friends. And right. that grows exponentially, but it's still people, they only tell a friend they know will like it. So you have just a perfect crowd for a while. Oh, yeah. But then if you get more popular, people start coming because they heard about you. You start being more accidentally noticed. Yeah, people want to yell. Sometimes people just want to come and yell something Yeah, they just want to be at a thing. So you're starting to get more kind of like casual fans and they don't, and they're not fun. They're not into it. Yeah. And it starts getting, you feel the weight, it starts getting heavy. You start getting, the whole thing gets a little waterlogged. There's, a, I think it happens to every comedian. I think, and there's a couple of, couple of, a few years of my career where I felt like I was starting to get a little shitty because I just wasn't, I was losing my bearings, you know. That's fascinating, man. Yeah. It really is. It's interesting to hear because, yeah, I've had experiences where it's like you get so many fans and podcasts and help create that. Um, yeah. And this other alternative world, you know, like, because you, you had a, I mean, one thing that you'll be able to say for yourself, I think even as a human, by the time you get to the end of your life, is you've gotten to have almost every experience. Do you think so? I think so. You've gotten to have a lot of them. Did you? It in, seemed, what do you mean? I mean, I don't know about all your experiences, but you've yeah. gotten to have success. You've had success like in the mainstream version. Yes. And then this other version. Mm-hmm. And I don't want, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing myself because I don't know exactly what I'm saying, but um, this other version of success, like kind of in this alternative uh-huh. Ver in this, you know, do it straight to your fans, yeah, straight to consumer. Yeah. Um, the movie, the Fourth of July, like, yeah, dude, unbelievable. I was sitting there sending Joe List messages, like, dude, you are yeah. so fucking good. He's good, right? Oh, and it just captures who he is yeah, so yeah, much. Yeah. It's like, yeah. how do we get this special piece of Joe that's like, yeah. just so like perfect, you know? That was the exercise, yeah. 
I mean, it was, it was awesome. It made me inspire. It just, I can't believe you guys nailed the ability to capture everyone, but you've gotten to have, and we'll talk about, uh, 4th of July in a second. Um, but you have everything now through your website and you can, but what has that been like? Cause you had this mainstream success that is very glitzy and glamoury. And it's like Mm. a lot of us chose podcasting because there wasn't that opportunity there. So this alternative universe kind of was created. Mm -hmm. Um, what is what has one been like and the other been like? Well, I mean, I had first so many years of just struggling, you know, like uh, I started when I was a, a just 18. I think the first time I ever did it, I was 17. But I started really trying at 18 in 1985. It's a long fucking time ago. It's 38 years now. Wow. But from nine from 1985 and when I was 18 till I was, you know, I was just a Boston comedian for years, just trying and failing and. And uh, and then I moved to New York and I started to get some sense of power, but but and I tried writing for TV as a way to make a living because I just wasn't making it as a comic. But as a stand-up, I worked until it wasn't really till I was like forty that I started to really like hit. So I had all those years. So that's like a whole other, you know. Right, right. People kind of forget about that. Yeah, and I, I wasn't trying to discredit you. No, that not, you hadn't put I your don't time feel in. that at all. Okay. No, but after that, then I had yeah, I had this big and the biggest part of it was the stand-up i mean that's what fueled it all was that i was selling out theaters all of a sudden and they couldn't get be big enough like i would double the size and it'd sell it out i would put a show on sale and it would sell out in a minute wow. and um and there wasn't wow. a room in the world like there wasn't an indoor space in the world i couldn't book like we would me and my agent would talk about where do you want to play like let's go to london royal albert hall if you feel like it wembley arena yeah. just any place stonehenge yeah fucking madison square garden <laughs> weird amphitheaters in athens mr mcgregor's Greece. garden fucking <laughs> yeah. anywhere anywhere all, yeah. it was crazy like i i remember i would talk to one point about playing central park you know like simon and garfunkel did wow. like it was crazy and then the tv thing you know i mean i had that show and it hit mm-hmm. But it wasn't like Friends or something. It wasn't like, you know what I mean? It wasn't a network show with a huge reach. There's still a shit ton of people that never saw it. It Mm -hmm. had pretty low ratings, my show. It got a lot of press and awards and stuff. And not even as many awards as other shows. It wasn't like The Office or something. Right. But I loved the work. I loved, I was getting to do the show exactly the way I wanted. So I had huge fulfillment that way. And yeah, it was weird. I was getting awards and I was at, awards shows and stuff like that and i would meet somebody like brad pitt and he'd be like oh dude and that kind of strange feelings and um i'm sure and your ego has to build even if you don't know it the ego is so that's weird. right that's the thing that's you that you got to be careful if you don't know what your ego is doing you're just success is very dangerous because yeah. there's no warning signs on it there's nothing cautionary about it in the experience mm-hmm. you just believe in it you're just like this is all happening because I'm good at this and because it's my time and and here we go and anything good that happens you go sure I'll do that too yeah and you just keep letting it load on and you don't think about like you you ever seen the uh, American Gangster it's uh, Denzel Washington and, yes uh, there's a th- that you're watching him quietly build this huge empire mm-hmm. and then it's when he goes out in the white uh, uh, fur coat to the fight. He goes to a yes. boxing match in a white fur coat, and then the head cop, uh, the Russell Crowe, goes, "Who's that guy?" <laughs> like, and he's not aware that somebody has just gone. Wait a minute, 
who's the guy in the white fur? So when you're like big, getting bigger and bigger, somebody out there is going like, what's going on with that guy? That yeah. guy's flying awfully high. And you you just don't, you're not aware of that. You just go, this just keeps being good. I'll do next year, I'll do 10 shows at the Garden. I mean, where does that go? Where do you think that's going? Like now I look at it like, where do you think it, that's right. headed? Like the, it just can't, things that expand ex explode. It's just right. The way it it can't, goes. Yeah. It's unsustainable for most artists in the world. I mean, every comedian has, that's even gotten that big. There's yeah. been some comeback to earth moment. Every, but everybody who gets that big. Right. Has whatever their vulnerability is, whatever their thing is, their Achilles heel, it's going to get hit. Yeah. Because the world tests you and it's also just more interesting to watch somebody go down. It's just part of life. Life is a zero sum game, you know. Uh, yeah, so, I agree. But so, yeah, but having done stuff like hosting Saturday Night Live like a bunch of times, like that was never, that wasn't in my in my sights. Like I didn't think these things would happen to me. I had completely Did you really up. not? I completely had given up on those things happening to me. And I knew, just admitted to being a writer, you think? Yeah, I thought I'd I'll do I'll never stop doing stand up, I thought, because I love it. It's it's the thing I love. But I can write. I'm a good writer. I tried making films early and they crashed and burned. So I'm like, I'm not gonna be a film director either. Those are the big dreams, like direct movies, be a comedian. I'm gonna do comedy, but no one's ever gonna love it. And I'll go down for whatever I was maybe pulling in a you know a few hundred people a night down, and it'll just diminish. And someday I'll have to give it up. Mm. And I'll write, and that'll be okay. I'll make other people famous, make Chris Rock famous, make Conan, you know, help other guys get there. And there's joy in that. I Chris, yeah. I, I love Chris. I love. He was him. my favorite growing up. Yeah, he he astonished me when he came back to stand up after SNL and get, inspired me a lot. And he was a, he's one of the best friends I've ever had. And uh, he was a great boss. When he was just my boss, I just loved him. He was just the greatest, greatest guy. He used to say, like, you know, I'm not, it's not about me. We're all, because he, he hired writers that were all really good. And he said, we're all the Yankees. I'm, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the cleanup spot, but I'm just the guy who has this one role, but you're all, you know, you, you made us feel like we're all part of it. Right. So I liked that work, but I had no, I had really decided and I had started, I had a kid and I was like, this is not. It's not gonna never gonna happen for me, and then it, it, something changed because when I went on stage, I just didn't I didn't care anymore about my a career. So I just, and I was really cranky, and I was starting to really I went through a new cranky phase, and I was a tired father, and and I started talking about that, and then things then things changed. You know, then did it surprise you? Yeah, really. It, it really shocked did. me. And then when I got the this show on FX. The, the the they paid me the minimum. I got paid like you know scale. Yeah, and the show had the smallest budget of any show on television. But the point was, and it was on FX, which was nowhere at the time. I mean, they had a few cool shows. Yeah, but, but people didn't know about it. No, so I thought I'm gonna do a show and I'm gonna love it, and it's never gonna take off. It's just gonna be a little show. My friend Laura Keitlinger had done this show oh, yeah. called uh, The Adventures of Jackie something. And Laura's one of the funniest people I knew. And she did a nice season on like AMC. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. Right. One season of this weird little show. And then I'll go back to, then I'll get another writing job. That's what I figured. I had no fucking, and then we're like, you know, then we're getting on the big lists. And then we got Emmy. I was totally shocked that that happened. Um, but then after a few years, I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, it's like if you play blackjack, you start winning, mm -hmm. you get stupid right away. You're like, I'm good. It's because I'm good right. at blackjack. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know what I'm doing. 
And then they just t- then you're busting every hand. You're like, no, I'm a fucking asshole. So yeah, I was in a place where I thought like, I uh, this is happening because I know what I'm doing now and because I'm earning it. Uh, but a lot of it is just so weird. You caught a wave. You caught a wave. It was good timing. Yeah, it's interesting how some comedians don't even get the time. It's like they're where they what their funny is in their mm-hmm. lifespan. It just doesn't match with the wave of like where society is. Sometimes that's right. There's some people that are incredible, but they weren't that at the right time that's what one of the biggest challenges in comedy is just staying good when nobody's paying attention yeah. and continuing to progress because it's like this searchlight that maybe finds you sometimes and if every time it finds you you're you're getting better and better then the then someone in the somebody in the world will start to go this guy is a good bet they'll start putting money on you yeah but uh but anyway then when i when i started to pull in the when it became like total like just nothing fails area yeah on the road, because stand-up was always the most important thing, I thought an interesting way to leverage this would be to make a connection with the fans through this website because I could have started taking huge checks from big promoting companies, you know? Mm-hmm. Just those there are tours where they just give you the money first. Right, right. It's like here's seven million bucks or whatever. Yeah. Or, and then whatever. we're gonna charge your fans six hundred dollars a ticket. Right. You know, we're gonna sell and then we're gonna sell those tickets to our own reseller, you know, to fucking and we're gonna dirty, make money that way. And we're gonna give you they can do stuff like we'll give you a jet. Verizon's paying for the jet and now you have a Verizon sign above your you know, they have you have sponsorships on the tour and and then they they load on other comedians that they owe money to that they're trying to burn off the money and you're doing rooms that are just awful that they own you know it's just but it's seven million dollars here you go that's what you get for your 30-year climb that's what that's you know right um but to me it was more interesting to go because i i was interested in like Ticketmaster has all the emails they know Mm -hmm. those are the glenn gary leads they have but if i make a website and sell directly to people and i think about how i don't like buying stuff when they ask me for my email i don't like yeah it. i hate it i don't like belonging to stuff i don't like joining right i don't want to do that to my fans either no so we just make it that you just pay the 5 bucks and it's and 5 dollars was this like crisp little number and then you have it and i don't care if you fucking share it don't be a dick and make money on it but i don't give a shit that much it's never going to it's not going to ruin my life if other people share my products right and at the time, this idea of protecting your product was getting bigger because digital was new, you know. And uh, and then I got your email. And 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 if if you want to give me your email, you have to give it to me. Like we made it right. hard to get to get on the list. So I got this little list that started growing, and it just uh, that saved my life because that's I still have that list is getting bigger and bigger, but it's that's who I go to now. Um, Has that been? Do you find more? Do you miss the notoriety of not even a little bit? Interesting. Not even a slightest. And that's true. That's a hundred percent true. I don't miss it. I don't. The thing I just do. I mean, I've been touring for three years. Right. Right. Yeah. Theaters no. all over the world and big yeah. places. A lot of my friends have been working with you on and off over the years, and I, I know that for sure. But yeah, I guess I was wondering, do you miss that Hollywood style kind of notoriety? Because nah. that's the two. That's the things that that podcasters always miss a little bit they're not like in this it's so funny to me too because like i have friends like shane is a buddy of mine shane yeah. Gillis, and he's got a you he puts sketches on youtube and hundreds of thousands of people watch them and people worship shane and he yeah. sells out big places and he's having a great time and he's like i'll never get on television <laughs> like what the fuck are you talking about like what is your problem yeah it's like a guy who invented the the telegraph and he's like they'll never let me on the pony express it's like you just <laughs> killed the pony express yeah. 
What the fuck are you worried about? <laughs> this has so much more power. That shit is dead. And it's still, you know, you think about, well, I grew up thinking about The Tonight Show. Oh, that's what everybody thinks about. There's Donnie not, Carson, if you, you could know. do Jimmy Kimmel every night for six weeks and kill, and you ain't going to sell one ticket off that. Mm -mm. Nobody's watching comedians, and they don't even know where to find you. No. This, this shit... It spreads. It's on every. It's all over the. It's crazy. You have the same bandwidth as NBC, ABC, or any of them. Yeah. And and and. But the difference is, you got something. People are, are never they, the you fans you have from doing this. They're never gonna let you go. You're gonna stay with you. <sighs> yeah. So that's a blessing. It is. And when you can go to directly, it's just I do stand up now, and people come, and we have a great time, and they pay me, and. What the fuck else could I possibly want? These these are people I care about. They they went out of their homes. I know. Fucking got a babysitter and parked somewhere and then sat politely in a fucking seat with strangers and listened to me and gave me a shit ton of money. I mean, when I went back to clubs first, I'm like, I'm in clubs again. Like that's all that's all I got. I thought that might hurt. It might that's I didn't know if it would feel like this. But when I first was like the St. Louis funny bone, I remember, you know, the, the soda thing is right next to you going like feeding soda to the bar. Oh, yeah. Like you're yeah. in a back room with just soda machines. That was one of the last ones you could smoke in, too. Yeah, the... you could. It's still. Oh, you can? Good. Yeah, they I had that early smoking show. And uh, I was like, here I am. But I went on stage in that place. You know, the crowd is just all right around there. you. And it's hot. You feel a heat like you could see kind of like a like steam coming off of them. Oh, yeah. And it's a dump. Yeah. You feel like if you just pushed one of the walls hard enough, the whole club would fall down. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I had a fucking ball. I had such a good time. And it was hard work. I did like two Friday, two Saturday, like the old days. And then I got paid. And I'm, I'm for whatever I am, I, I can still get 80, 90% of the door. Yeah. And 80, 90% of the door of a comedy club after you know it's Thursday great. through Saturday, that's crazy money. Now playing the Garden and then another arena the next night for twenty nights in a row is astronomically more. But I don't feel that money. I don't need. You know what I mean? That doesn't feel like more. Right. It's just like yeah, that's a shit ton of money. It's all gone now because yeah. I'm stupid, <laughs> and I because I made movies with it. I make my own stuff with my own money now. But that fucking. Funny bone check. I was like, who needs more than that, man? That's and and I'm with comedians I love. I'm choosing my openers. We're having fun together. Um, and yeah. then I called enough money together to make that sh movie with Joe. And we don't get, you know, I don't get written about. I'm not, you know, when I I made two specials over the last years. And yeah, does that hurt? No, it doesn't. It really doesn't because a shit ton of people buy them on the site and right. folks that want. I'm back to that place where. If you're watching me, it's because you really want to hear this, these jokes. Mm. It's not because you want to like, you know, see what this means inside the culture. Or you don't want to, you're not trying to cl clam on to, to act cool because you like me. It's just, you're into the comedy. Yeah. If you're, if you're watching me, you're into the comedy. There's no other reason to do it. And I like that. And I have my friends in the industry and in my community. My I have my real friends. I lost a lot, but now I have real friends. And I love them, and and I love their success. Doing that with Joe was a big thing for me because that was his story. It was his voice. So giving a movie to a a young guy, who, you know, who I just thought was worthy, and somebody should listen to this guy. And I don't think anybody else is going to make a movie for him. So 
that felt great. And it's a small, it's a small movie. It's got a small scale. You mm-hmm. know, it's not like some like, whoa. <laughs> it's yeah. just a fucking real story. So I got to do that, and it, it's it's inching towards making its money back. It's just it's just you know it it costs a lot because the, the pandemic was oh that's expensive right to shoot during the pandemic. But uh, but no, it's really good. It's a and and I I, I I don't know. You can you can have a life like that. You don't have to take every every opportunity. I don't think that that Hollywood notoriety, that membership of that club, it's not really good for you. I don't think it it's cool. It's a fun trip. If you can make the trip, if you can get that big, yeah, go on the trip. If you can go on some red carpets, yeah, have fun. It's a thing. It's worth experiencing. If you can host Saturday Night Live, go fucking do it and make the most of it and do your best and try to be yourself. Try to. It's really everybody that has made it and had a real like like you're saying at the end of life, going, I I did all this. It's could you stay yourself during it? Because if you're not yourself. If you change in order to stay in those places, because that's the first thing they'll ask you to do. Oh, yeah. That's what I tried when I got to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Then if you do that, then you're not the one experiencing it anymore. You're lost. Uh. You It's not you. you. You became somebody else to do that, and then you start getting this weird feeling about that. Yeah, that's so interesting. I was, I've been a part of things where it's like, I don't feel like this is me, and it's because I wasn't choosing it. It wasn't me choosing it. So then, of course, it's not going to be me that shows up to it every day. No. That's a fascinating note for anybody. And this could be a relationship, a job, mm-hmm. anything you're in. If you're wondering why something doesn't feel right all the time or doesn't fit or you're not showing up the same way that feels comfortable to you, it's because of that very reason right there. Yeah, because you kind of – desire can come from a lot of things. It's not always internal. Sometimes it's like I've been told I want this or this feels like this might get me out of where yes. I am. This seems like what I should be doing. Yes, or it might be a step that that feels right to me. I've seen other people do that. Or or sometimes it's just like, maybe this will get me out of my misery. Maybe this will change everything, that kind of thing. But the thing you got to ask yourself is, is, am I being Theo when I take this step forward? Like, what would he do? Because, and if it looks so good, but you're like, that ain't me, man. The, the You say to yourself, yeah, but I, it's okay, because I'll... Take that step, and then there'll be another me step past that. But there's no more you. Like, if you take one step that's not you, right. you have nowhere to put the next foot. The next, It's not you anymore. It's like, your yard. You're not nowhere. But if you take a step that's like, this seems like a bad idea. This is hard. Nobody yeah. likes this. <laughs> but it's me, man. What am I going to do? But then when you take that step, the great thing is no matter what comes at you, all you got to do is lift your foot and plant it again. You're still you. You can you get you through hard times, and it'll keep you available for good times as yourself. Wow. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. All that stuff. It's it's got a gross side to it. But if you're yourself again, if you can be yourself in it, you can observe it. You can find love there. There's love everywhere. So you can find friends and you can find interesting things. You know, if you're in an awards show, there's people working the cameras and stuff. And like a lot of them were people I knew from like Conan, like crew members. So I'd be at an awards show going like, I shouldn't be here. And then I'd see, you know, a guy like, hey, and I go like, hey, there's love there, you know? Yeah. Or a weird actor I worked with for some, on some a long time ago. And he's, you know, there is people there. There's you can find a loving and a self path through anything but if you depend on if you're like i won't feel good if everybody if i'm not a hollywood a-lister you might as well fucking pack it in that's it's not a good way to live 
Yeah, man. It's just, it's so interesting to hear some of that because I've had spots even in just the past couple of years of my life where I chose to do certain things and I'm like, I know this doesn't feel right, but I feel like I need to do it for money or I feel like I need to mm-hmm. do it for... And once I got out of some of that, yeah. everything has fallen so much more into place. I've gotten right. a semblance of human. Like I just feel like myself more again. Yeah. It's been pretty fascinating. Good. Um, when it comes to like love in your life, has that been a tough thing? I find like as a comedian, like I get so analytical about stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously we were talking a little bit about how like getting in, into emotional spaces can be like a real, uh, you know, that can be like a real it's a real, it can be a tough space sometimes for comedians. Yeah. Yeah. Um, has it been, sometimes I notice even with like being in love or something like that, I'll like, I'll be analyzing it so much. It's hard for me to actually be in the feelings. Yeah. Cause I'm like, it's like to be in the feelings, you almost have to let go of some control kind yeah, of, you, do, yeah. you know? And so have you had experiences like that in your life? Has it been kind of tough or what's that kind of been like? Cause I know you've had, you've been married and you've been I a was parent. Married, yeah, I've got two kids. That's a different kind of love. It's a, that's a forever. It's a love you just have. It's like you, you can't choose that. Was that hard for that? Because sometimes I fear that like because love seems so negotiable sometimes. I think because it was like that when I was a, it felt like that when I was a kid. Yeah. That I worry that it's going to be like that if I'm a parent. How is yeah. it negotiable when you're a kid? You mean conditional? You mean like it can go away if you don't do the right thing or something? What do you yeah. Mean? Yeah. I think like if you don't. Uh, yeah, if you're not like, I don't know, if you're not something, then you don't deserve something, you know, or something like that, huh. you know? Yeah, I, I have a dog. You have a dog? Uh-uh. I've got a dog, and she's like my wife now, like it's me and her, you know? And uh, we, I mean, my kids are in my life, and we have a great joy, but my dog's with me every single day when I'm home. Oh, wow. And... uh I was with my dog once, and I'd smoked a little. I don't smoke weed very much, but I went to Washington Square Park and just bought some weed, and it was, I think it was a little a little much. Oh, yeah. Some weed makes people gay, even. <laughs> it makes gay people video? even gayer. <laughs> oh, dude, I've never seen that. No, but I was, uh, I was like, uh, getting existential and weird, you know? Yeah. But my dog came over and sat with me, so I just kind of hung on to her. And I said to her, you know, you don't have to do anything. You don't ever have to do anything. I said, you don't have to worry. You don't have to try. You don't have to be sorry. You don't have to promise. Uh, You don't have to regret. All you got to do is sit there and just take the love that's coming at you. That's all you got to do is just be and just take the love that's just coming. And then I thought, I can say that to myself, too. I can say that to anybody, Mm. you know? I mean, if you're willing to just be yourself and just sit there, yeah, it's it's hard. Sometimes you're just alone. Sometimes you're just lonely. Sometimes you don't find somebody. You don't find love. But once you have kids, it's it's a tricky thing with kids too because you want to love them and and then you also got to let them go. You also got to let them depart your oh. life. You got to let them. My kids are 18 and 21 now, 17 and 21, about to be 18 in a few months. But they they start to you know. And yet, and then it turns into a different, everything that takes away from you gives, you get another, it's a zero sum game. Yeah. So your kids aren't little, you know, holding your hand anymore, but you can watch a movie and make fun of a movie together. You know what I mean? Right. Talk about life and be friends. And that's incredible with somebody who you used to wipe her little face, you know, 
And now you're laughing at a fucking shitty movie together and talking about how shitty this movie fucking sucks. Yeah. Cursing together, you know. Yeah. That's really something. Oh, yeah. I want to curse at my fucking kid. Yeah, you need to have kids, I think. I think you should have kids. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I mean, the the that love with a, with a woman, with a partner, that's a lot harder because you're both armed with self-protection and stuff. Yeah, totally. And so I think the thing, you got to be willing to just try it and fail. You have to, It has to be okay for you that it, if it doesn't work out because it mostly usually doesn't i think it should be okay with people that you combine with somebody and you try and a bunch of stuff doesn't work and you fuck some and you have fun and you do something exciting like having kids together and then when it's just when it starts to rot you get the fuck out it's okay yeah. just get out you're done your dad did it you just get you know my dad, he like you know, my parents broke up. Vamanos. Yeah, thank God, my parents broke up. Yeah, thank God. You, yeah, that's a great point, huh? Sometimes yeah. I romanticize things to the point where if the re if I were able to look at the reality of it, yeah, I would see that it's a fucking nightmare, you yeah. know. But I can't get there sometimes in my head because I get stuck so much in the romanization. Well, because your feelings are, yeah, your feelings run a lot of your life, and you can't reason with them. I know it's crazy, isn't you can't, it? You Who can't, made them? I don't know. I don't know who the fuck is inside. I don't know. I don't. It's a big fucking mystery. But uh, yeah, you can't. You're in a thing with somebody, especially young. I don't know. It gets easier when you get older. Mm -hmm. Like now, when I meet somebody, if I'm starting to get romantic with somebody, when there's conflict, I just go, "Yeah, I can't. I, we're not. We don't need to do that, do we?" Like you, you get to it quicker, right? Then when you're younger, you get you start having a you, like you're too you're like playing a battleship where you have a you can't see yeah, each other's you're fucking lying. you're driving past each other's house <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. put a nair in each other's shampoo i put nair in a girl's shampoo you in college did? yeah dude oh my god fucking pretty awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude those are the days cuz we had to do it and she she still tries to hook up with me these days. You know, days. by the way, there's a bit of yours in that first album that has a potential. You touched on something and a great idea for a bit, and you didn't finish it. Yeah, I've heard a few comics do that. You know, uh huh. You're talking about farts, and you have first of all, you have a take on it. I've never heard what you say. I hate farting. I've just never heard anybody say that. Yeah, I hate farting. But at the end of the bit, you say toward it to yourself. You go, we gotta, we gotta get, we gotta beat him. We got to beat farts. We got to beat them. And you just sort of say it a few times. We got to beat them. The idea of that there's a cure for farts is yeah. fucking hilarious <laughs> that we need to find a cure. Nobody's even thinking about curing farts. That's unbelievable, what isn't it? Cure for farts. That's a great. I mean, that to me, that's like, I want you to go there. But No, I appreciate it, man. Uh, yeah, you had some great, you had some cool material about that last night, man. Dude, Parts there's so many, jokes, yeah. you don't give me a chance that it's like, that's why I'm like, do I have to go back and watch it again? Because I don't even have a, ch before I'm processing shit, I'm like so far into the fucking fun house. <laughs> there's like a disabled man eating my ass, dude. And I'm trying to fucking order a Reuben. It's like, I literally don't even know what's going on, dude. Maybe I'm going too fast. Maybe I should go. Um, I want. I do want to talk about Fourth of July, man. Right. I'm in recovery. I got like eight months, so okay, good it for was. You. Thank you, and it. So it was nice for me to just see those guys, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, and just like a part of it that people don't like, <coughs> the, like Joe's sponsor calling him. Sorry. No worries. Take your take a moment. Water down the wrong pipe. Isn't that crazy, <clears throat> man? Yeah. And water tries to like fuck our lungs. <coughs> no, you can die. 
Oh yeah, if you get a lot. Well, I mean, it's what it feels like. Yeah, it's really every all the comfort you have that you're alive. You could just squeeze this little, put a little bit of water. Like it's probably this much water. And it's like I'm dying. I'm dying now, <laughs> dude. If I have tuna fish, because a lot of times, if you know, when you're coming up, you have to cook in your hotel room in the, you know, yeah, yeah. So I'd mix like tuna and stuff in a, uh, a hot plate or something. Or? No, just in a styrofoam cup. Okay. And then, um, but if I had Gatorade, electrolytes, and tuna, yeah. my throat would shut down, and I didn't know. Oh, really? Some crazy reaction. So, Whoa. yeah, one time I I was fucking losing. I I called nine one one, and I'm losing it. It was the yeah. first time that it happened. I got really scared, and I went up to this, uh, not a maitre d. What's the lady that helps clean the room, clean the hotel? <laughs> Definitely not a maitre d. Yeah, what is you it? You mean the maid? Maid, like maid, cleaning lady. Yeah, whatever. yeah, or maid. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went up to her, and I'm like fucking. You know, trying to wow. fucking do like this, you know, and Gatorade, you know, <laughs> tell her what it happened. Like fish and Gatorade. Oh, bro. And I remember putting, literally putting my fingers in my throat and fucking holding it open enough so I could breathe. Like, wow. But it's just when that pipe, it's like the littlest thing, man. No, man, you're gone. That's why waterboarding works. All you just, you could go like this and I'll, like, I'll tell you everything. Oh, <laughs> forget it. Um, the movie was so great. How, can I ask you yeah. just as a, how much does it cost to make a movie like this? And I know you said it was more during the pandemic. It's way too much. Okay. It was like something like 2 million bucks. Okay. Which that movie shouldn't have cost that much. But there's two reasons. One was the pandemic because that just, it was like 30% more. Everything cost 30% more. Right. And then the other thing was that I was coming back to, I hadn't filmed anything in a long time. And because the pandemic had happened and I just wanted to really enjoy it. I wanted to really make a movie and not worry about it. Low, low budget movie mm -hmm. just means you're dragging your balls on the gravel. And it's just every sing single thing you do is hard. And everybody around you is stressed out because nobody's getting paid enough. And you're working bad hours and stuff. I just didn't want to do it. I just wanted to like, so we we did a comfortable version of it. It still was very low budget. That's still a very low for Fourth a, of a July? feature movie. You, sorry? Yeah. Yeah. But uh but and also we shot in this house that 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 was the hard the biggest expense probably was the house because we had to find I couldn't make the movie unless that house was the exact right kind of log a roomy log cabin it had to be on a lake and it had to be mm. in a place that felt like Maine it was actually in upstate New York on Lake George and that was a an, and a place that's willing to be rented as a house so. We the place there's like a list usually of location people that put themselves out there as were available. Mm -hmm. None of them worked, so I had to have a guy. I, the location guy is a guy named Jeff Karen from Louis from my series, and I went to him and asked him to do it, and he said, "I don't do that anymore. I'm retired." Like he has a whole other life, and I just begged him, and he came out of retirement just to, wow. <laughs> just for me. So he because he had to just go real estate listings and go hit the fucking bricks all over like Northern America, you know, and go to people's doors and knock on them and say, are you willing to be a location? That, that kind of cold calling, it was very hard to find the right place. And then once we found the place that was willing, they could have doubled the price. We still would have paid it because so it cost a lot. And and then we put Lake George is in this little town where it's really expensive. So every, there's no hotel. Mm. So we had to find housing. We had to find like, basically vacation homes for the whole cast and crew and that was the hugest anyway it's a long ex explanation but, no, but it's it, a lot it, it, should, it shows how much goes into all that yeah a movie like that should you should be able to make it for under a million bucks it's it's so it's just people talking it's pretty simple i mean we shot in new york city too which is expensive so mm -hmm. for the first like 30 minutes of the movie 
Um, but there's yeah. a lot of ways. There's so many cameras now that are have as good a sensor as any other camera. And the great lenses of the world you can rent and everything else is rentable. And there's people that have film equipment who are dying to use it now because they overbought. And and uh, you can usually pull it. I mean, the unions are, are strict and you have to use union crews most of the time. So if you're really trying to make a movie with like a, you know, carpentry department and electrical and and grips and everything. Yeah, it's hard to keep the cost down a bit. But if you just do it with your friends with a camera, you could do it for whatever it costs to rent the clothes and, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. Once you go over that union line, once you get into like that's when once somebody calls their agent, you're fucked. That's right. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Yeah. It's expensive. Um it was it, yeah, man. I just thought it was incredible. That moment, I don't want to give it away really, but Mm. there's a nice moment where the dad comes into the room Mm -hmm. with Joe. Yeah, towards Uh, the end. Yeah. With the phone. Yeah, it's funny. because so subtle. Well, he had a whole speech that he gave. Oh, he didn't. He took it out. Yeah, that was the kind of like the point of the whole movie was that he gives this speech. That's what I was kind of waiting. I was waiting for that a little, but then I just accepted that it was just a moment. Yeah, it was weird because we did. So when we wrote it, it was all about this dad, even though he says nothing through almost the whole movie. He's totally silent. and And Joe and his mom are just at loggerheads. And uh, she runs the family, and he's trying to become an individual but be loved by her, and it's impossible. She's withholding like your mom sounds like she was, didn't know how to love, you know. So he's dealing with that, but you just see once in a while we go to these shots that are just quiet, private shots of the dad, like not knowing how to deal. And Joe has a big anxiety disorder that we kind of portray through weird filming. And at one point, we show that the dad also has the yes. same problem. Oh, I didn't catch that. I did, yeah. but I didn't. Yeah, like he's kind of like an undiagnosed older guy with, he's got an anxiety disorder, but nobody told him, you know, nobody told that generation yeah. that there was like a thing wrong with him. So he's dealing with that. And then and then at the end, when Joe feels like he's kind of figured stuff out, he comes in and says this thing. And it was this speech where he says, <clears throat> he starts trying, to, he's struggling to talk because he doesn't, he's, because he's an anxious guy. He's socially anxious. And he starts telling him about he was. He said, "When I played football, um, I was a lineman in high school, and we were playing Brockton High." And he tells the story about seeing the quarterback and that he could sack him and win the game, but uh, he hesitated, mm. and the guy lofted the pass over his head, and but he didn't. The pass missed anyway, and then he's about to kind of make his point, and the phone rings, and he gives up. So he gets he gets through the story, but doesn't doesn't make his point. But we we played it that way, and it just felt. It, it, I believed in it so much, and when we shot it, when he was the guy who was acting it, Bob Walsh, we were all crying. Everybody was crying. Joe was crying. Everybody was. And it was like this is the thing. But then you watch the whole movie, and you go, I don't want to fucking listen to this bullshit. <laughs> like, <this is> just <laughs> stupid. And also, so much had happened, and so much there were. were we just want to get there. So I tried a version where he comes up and says, hey, the phone rings. And he goes, never mind. And for some reason, that got all of the emotional. That got far more. People watched that and they cried. And uh, so, yeah, sometimes you just it's what you don't. A lot of times in movies, it's what you, you take. Anything you can take out and leave a blank, a space where like this almost feels like there's a mistake. There's a weird emotional reaction mm. to that. Yeah, I got that the dad was like, oh, here's a woman that cares about you. So you need to take this. Yes, and he and that was him. He did that. I mean, the, the line is, that's your wife, but he pointed at it and he made a thing of it. 
that's your wife. You should take that. Yeah, there's a lot of meaning in that moment. And I didn't. The thing I love about making movies is is that you, I don't really know what the movie's about. The story just kind of comes to you, and you sort of. It's almost like you're taking dictation. Like I guess this is what happens. It just makes you you try to write it as involuntarily as possible, and then as you make the movie and you get to sit there and watch the shit happen, you go fuck. This is what that means. That's why that happened. Like you start to learn about it as you make it. Yeah. And sometimes actors get lost, and you can, as a director, help them by talking about that. I mm -hmm. think this is what he's trying. I don't know. And sometimes they know and you don't. It's fucking, it's like, it's like if you could do that with life, like deconstruct life and have all the dialogues between your family members in front of you and just watch as a spectator. Yeah. But I never feel like it's like about controlling it or saying, you got to do this. this you just learn, you learn through it, you know? Yeah. And when it's comedy, when it's funny in it. You know, it was fa yeah. I found it fascinating. I love the the sponsor calling and fucking with the dumb lines. He's fucking like, oh, this is fucking retarded. <laughs> yeah, but it's the yeah. shit that you need to hear that keeps yes. you in a fucking comfortable repetition of like, okay, this is what I do every day. This is how I get through the day. This is okay. how I get through it. Yeah, yeah. And Joe really wanted it was important to him because I'm not an AA guy, but um, he it was important to him to have it not be. A typical AA movie where somebody always falls off the wagon. Yeah. And get back on. <clears> and it's very <throat> earnest. And it's all just how terrific AA is. He wanted to show that it's a pain in the ass when a guy talks too long and that somebody always complains. The guy wouldn't shut up. Yeah. And uh, and that when you get a sponsee, it's awkward. It's fucking, it's not, it's not lovely. It's like, what am I going to say to this <laughs> fucking guy? I don't even like this guy. Dude, there's so. a guy that I met years ago at a meeting. I don't even know who he is. He calls me fucking once every week, dude. And I thought, I have no mm -hmm. idea what he looks like. Mm -hmm. I have no fucking clue, dude. <laughs> and he drives me absolutely insane. But every now and then, I'm in a low moment or yeah. I'm in a high moment or whatever. Yeah. And I'll fucking, you know. And half the time, I take the call. What's going on? Yeah. You know? I don't know. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. That whole world's interesting. Um. What was it like? So, uh, just real quick, uh, you you worked with Joe Rogan when you were young, right? When you were younger, did you guys both start in Boston? Yeah, we both started in Boston at the clubs. And he was like a handsomest guy. Remember? Yes, he was. Yeah, I mean, Joe's still a handsome guy, right? I love sure. Joe. And uh, but I'll, was there any like? Because now, if you're like a handsome comedian, people yeah. are like, "Oh, fuck this guy!" Yeah, right? Because you can't not, have it all. No, handsome doesn't help you on stage. Yeah. yeah. Was it like were people like that against like whenever he was starting out? Do you well, think? I remember when he. I was I started maybe a couple years before him, so I was starting to feel like you know established or in that little Boston scene. And then this guy, he started with guys like Greg Fitzsimmons, and him came. Yeah, up they're sort of still at the really close. Time. Yeah. yeah, and there was a few other guys, Robbie Prince. He might have been after, but these guys were like new guys. They were the first new guys I was aware of. Oh yeah, because I I had been a new guy for a couple of years. And so now these were new guys to me. So I was probably threatened by them, whatever. But I do remember feeling like Greg Greg was a, you know, he's an Irish kind of like. He's not as handsome. Greg no, he's not. Handsome. No, yeah, but not. Back then he was more handsome. Yeah, Greg's like a bookie fucking like cousin yeah, of a bookie is. handsome. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yes. But uh, Joe, it wasn't just his looks. It was just he had this confidence. Yeah. And he's from, I. we grew up in the same town. I'm from Newton, uh, Massachusetts. He grew up there too. Okay. So he, I went to Newton North High School. He went to Newton South. Both public schools, but his was kind of fancier. They're like kind of richer kids. And I kind of thought of him as this like Newton South tan. He was so tanned. Oh, he looked, the dude looks great. Yeah. And he was just like, dude, like he didn't, he didn't 
talk like a comic. He just, hey, he just said, what the, what the fuck? Yeah. And he talked about fucking chicks and he talked <laughs> about being getting being hot and getting laid or whatever. And he and uh, I could see that he had a power on stage. But yeah, I was threatened by him because he was like a good looking guy, a couple of years younger than me, started after me, yeah. who was getting a, some attention. Yeah. And uh, so on stage, I would be like, what is, what's, what's with this guy? Yeah. But that's how, I mean, Nick DiPaolo started a year after me mm-hmm. and we didn't like each other. We were like rivals. We didn't like each other at all because we were both like new guys who were getting big laughs. Uh, but then we were very good friends. Yeah, he's in the movie. Yeah, yes. I, the funny, I didn't even know that that was him until the end. I'm talking to really? someone. Yeah. Oh, he looks very different. Yeah, he looks different. And, uh, I mean, and he's then, still Nick. Yeah, somebody's so. like that thing, and I was like, oh my god, that's where I knew it from. Yeah, but I, man. But but Joe was, and uh, but then I got to know him, and I really liked him. And he was a, he was a fascinating guy. He was a Taekwondo like black belt champ. He's like a champion Taekwondo. Yeah, he's a real guy. athlete. And uh, we talk. We would talk about fighting and life and stuff. And I just liked him. I, I as soon as I got to know him, I liked him. And then I started watching, like any comedian, you first see him, you go, "What? What? What's so great about him?" I mean, when you're younger. But oh, then I watch yeah. him. Then I go. Then I started to really respect what he. And, and most of how well, he got good after I knew him. Because he was still just new and raw, and he was—I felt he was killing because he was. There is a level where you can, the girls like you on right. stage. He was also fucking every wait, every hot waitress. Uh, he was getting all the pussy. Well, how probably. are you supposed to like a guy yeah. like that? But but personally, one on one, I really yeah. did like him a lot. And then I started. I, mean, I wouldn't have fucked him, but I would have fucking stood by I and mean, watch him. Put your hand on the back. Of <laughs> yeah, I would have put it. Yeah, yeah. Little little of this with Joe Rogan, not bad. Yeah, but he was also interesting as a guy and not typical some guys who are handsome are trapped by that you know but he was an interesting dude and then when he went on and and i'd hear his stand-up i i i was like that's he's working and he's good and i liked his stand-up um and then he we had kind of a crossroads thing because he did that thing with carlos mencia where he outed him for stealing oh, yeah. whatever, which however you feel about that but that it was his he was very he's adamant about, about it. it and then his agency gersh told him if you don't dump uh if you don't stop if you don't apologize to carlos we'll dump you and that was my agency was gersh and so he let them go and i heard that and i was like that's crazy and i called him and we didn't we hadn't talked in a long time but i contacted him to say i need to hear from you if that's a true story and he said 100 percent." wow they called me and they said apologize or you're out of the agency and I, that's all i needed to hear i called them and i said I, you're not my agents anymore really? what if i have an argument with another comedian what are you fucking nuts yeah you can't do that so i dumped them and then i got started to know that side of joe that's like he believes what he believes yep. and he goes by it, whether it's going to hurt him or not. And I've always known him that way. We just would run. We, we, our friendship has been like running into each other in the parking lot of this comedy store and talking for a couple of hours about that's, life. And that's you know. most of comedians. Yeah. 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 People always ask what he's like. He's one of the most genuinely curious guys I ever met. Yeah. Like he yeah. has like any as it. He just retains information so well. Mm-hmm. And people are always like, well, you, a lot of you podcaster guys, you guys suck Rogan's dick. You know, you always that kind of stuff. Oh, you like him. And, and he's, he's, and he's fucking, number one. Yeah. And he's <laughs> you know? good at it. Yeah. It's like you want to look, you like, you want to learn and look up and like, not emulate, but you, there's a certain homage, especially in a space where guys like him and Marin and some other guys, right. you know, but even you, even putting your stuff on your website for $5 early on, that was like, 
it was a pioneer's type of move. A lot of people were like, that's guys, that's crazy. Yeah, it was kind of new at the time. I mean, it only works if you have your fans already. Uh, it doesn't help you get fans. Right. So a lot of, I knew some <laughs> comics did it after me. And they're like, I'm going to do it. But they did. I, I, it, I worked for me because I was swelling. I was starting to get a shit ton of. People. Right. You had a fan base. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't help you gather. It's the thing. And I, I do think that to some degree, because I don't have that allure in the media attention as much. It's get, sometimes it feels like it's getting it's just wearing down a little bit, you know, because it's just me and them. Right. So getting new people, it doesn't come as easily. But I ex that's such an easy thing to accept. Also, I'm 55. I mean, how many more years am I going to be alive, you know, let alone working? Yeah. So it's not like I needed to just keep piling up and getting bigger. But um, I mean, you've got, I mean, you've got, I mean, you've got, you've gotten, I mean, you've gotten to be that big. Yeah, exactly. You don't you need know? to stay big. That's crazy. And it's all kind of, it's all this mythological type of thing. It's all this, you know, it's like that whole business it all kind of is works together it's like the age and his friends with the press guy it's all this yeah and once somebody gets big then then there's this crazy rush towards them because they're big and people just go well i guess i like him too but that never lasts and it's like going to space you just got to be able to come you just come back down and you land in a lake and you land in a lake and then you're left with whatever amount of fans you have and that's your cruising altitude yeah and that because you know, everybody has that trajectory and then you don't know hear about them, but they're out there touring. You know, Pearl Jam isn't at the Grammys anymore. Right. But they're fucking selling out whatever size place they want. They're just in the, you know, they're, you, you get your orbit um, if you're lucky. And not everybody gets to have that experience. Yeah. I mean, but, Motley Crue was one of the, like, brought in one of the most monies last year I read somewhere. Right. Which blew my mind. Yeah, nobody's talking about Motley Crue. But the fact that they're, yeah. They stay busy. There's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of work out there. But also, I don't. I think. I mean, I don't know. That's why the show at the garden that I'm doing, that I'm live streaming, and it's all January sold. Twenty eighth. Yeah. So the show that I think we've got about five hundred tickets left, but it's like nineteen thousand. Right. But also, um, you can buy. You can you can purchase it online, and we'll put the link in this video, and we'll yeah, also great. make sure that um we run an ad that week if we don't if this doesn't come out that week we'll run an ad that week for the show. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, for Thank sure. You. It's exciting. But that to me is like a way to like say. A kind of a one more and goodbye to that to that level mm. uh and then i'm probably gonna take a break for a while i think i might take a year or more off and not perform for a while i want to feel what life feels like with that i haven't done that since i was 18 i haven't stopped so your show was one of the first shows i'd seen since the, maybe the first time that i'd seen comedy that i went to and stood in line and went to see comedy yeah wow that's yeah, that's not, it's rare. I don't I haven't done that in a long time myself. It was so Norm cool. McDonald's the last guy I went to, bought a ticket and sat and watched um a few years ago. It was great. Yeah. Great, great, great. And actually I just remember I lied to you. I saw Bob Newhart. Oh yeah. Where'd you see him? I saw him in Chicago at the Chicago Theater. No shit. Yeah, and he was telling jokes and I was like, Oh, these are just jokes that he fucking read off the internet, right? Oh no. <laughs> but then I realized oh, no. no, the jokes were just such old baked into society yeah. jokes he had fucking created them. Oh yeah, of course. Of course, they were all him. Yeah, I'm like, wow. Oh, these are just shitty internet jokes. And then I'm wow. like, oh, he fucking made these up. I met him once. He was with Don Rickles. Wow. And uh, they were at a restaurant I was Fuck. at. And the two of them and their wives were sitting. And, and uh, one of their wives or somebody came from that table over yeah. to me and said, Don would like to say hi to you. <sighs> so I walked back to the table and Don had his back to me. 
And he goes, he's not coming over here, is he? That fucking piece of shit's not coming over here. Oh, hi. Like, he did a thing, and he just starts shitting on me. He's like, look at you. What, are you, what is this? You fat fuck. How fucking old are you? What, are you, what good are you? He, and I'm just glowing. You know, I just feel great. And Bob's got this huge beaming smile on his face because he can see that his friend is happy. Yeah. And, uh, and I just stood there and took a beating for about 10 minutes and just, you know, and said hello to the ladies. And I honored them. You know, Bob, you're the best. Don, you're the best. And then Don kind of took my, he was very old. It was like a, a few months before he died, I think. Wow. He took my shirt and pulled me down and he said, don't let him forget me. Please don't let people forget me, who I was. Did he really? Yep. And he said it really earnestly. Wow. Isn't that something? Yeah. Anyway, nobody remembers who that is. <laughs> we know. Michael. Yeah, we know. Yep. But that's, yeah, it's wild that it all goes back into the sauce, man. Uh-huh. It all goes back into the fucking nuts. Yeah, whatever of you're nature. able to do, everybody's gonna forget. I know. All of it. All of it. I feel like we gotta keep a little of it. That's why I don't want to be cremated, dude. When I see people that are getting cremated, I'm like, you're a fucking because what if even a little bit of you is alive, you know? Huh. Yeah. You think you that body might still be alive? If you have eight cells left, you have billions of fucking cells. You don't uh-huh. think you have fucking thirty cells left and they're like Do you think that's gonna be you? Like that's you? I think There's it has some, some recollection. In it? It has some memory of, yeah, I think it holds But why something. does it need to stay alive? You feel like it needs to, as long as you can hang in there, basically? Yeah, and then you're like, oh, fuck, I'm getting grilled. Like, this is the absolute worst. So you're going to get buried. I think buried straight into the ground, you know? Actually, dude, I used to want to get shot out of a cannon in, like, a schoolyard, and the first kid to touch my dick fucking wins. <laughs> wins all my money. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. There's places you can get buried right in the ground without a box. Like Maine, I think you can throw a body in the ground anywhere you want in the state of Maine. Yeah, there's not that many good. I want to believe with a few more chicks around, though, I think. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I don't really have any wishes for after. Really? Yeah. I I, I want to leave that up to my kids because they'll be the ones that have to experience it. What do you think they'll do? I don't know. It depends on how I do. Yeah. (laughs) It's up to me. It's all up to us. Uh, Louis C.K., anything else, guys, you wanted to ask, Zach? Um, Yeah, last question. Uh, I saw Fourth of July in theaters, and a lot of the people were, I feel like their reaction was how hyped they were to see comedians in a movie, like actual comics in a a movie. Yeah. What other comics do you want to see in movies? Oh, shit. Uh, Yeah, do you have a project or something? I wrote a movie with a friend of mine that I'm going to try to make next year. But it's a really twisted, weird movie, and it's probably going to be too expensive. So I may not get to make it. But I'm going to try. I don't know if there's any comedians in that one. I like comedians. You know who I always thought would be a good dramatic actor? His Tim Heidegger. You know who he is? Tim and Eric? Yeah. Tim Heidegger is... I saw him... I was in London. That's how crazy my life was. I had just made a movie, which never came out. And I went to London because I did the music at Abbey Road Studios. I was just, I was like, I was telling him before, I was shitting money then. I was just, and now I just shit shit. Right. At the time I shit money. <laughs> and I had made this movie and the, I had a composer because I wanted to do an orchestral score. Yeah. And he said, okay, we can get a, a great orchestra, a really great orchestra for like 150000 bucks. They'll be the best in any any movie you've watched recently would have this orchestra. Or we can go to Abbey Road and get the best players in Europe, like the best players of, of, at every instrument for 300000 
And I was like, it's just a check, bro. Fucking yeah. Let's get's go. Let's go. And I went to Abbey Road and we recorded music with a full orchestra. It's the fucking sickest thing. It's it's like I was a coke addict. It was a really f- crazy thing to do. Yeah. But anyway, while I was there, Tim Heidecker was playing at the Soho Theater. So I just went to watch him. And he was wearing this uh, leather jacket that was, uh, you know, like a leather blazer. Yeah. And he had his hair slicked back. And he's just, he's a very, you don't know where he's coming from guy. Yeah. Just being really weird and sarcastic, but seeming real at the same time. And I was riveted by his show. He got a few laughs. He wasn't, he's not like a killer comic because uh-huh. he doesn't try to be. Uh-huh. But I thought that guy would be a really, I'd like to see him kill somebody in a movie. I'd like to see him. Yeah. He's got a Gacy vibe. Gacy. Yeah. A little bit. I think he could do something. I could think he could scare the shit out of somebody in a movie. Yeah. That's when I look at comedians, I look at that. There's guys that you, you go, that guy's going to get me laughs. I won't make a movie without Bobby Kelly probably ever. He's I just am. the greatest face in a movie. Nick DiPaolo, these are just the guys who I just go like, he's got to be in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Bobby's a sweet guy. Uh, Laura Keitlinger, who I mentioned before, I'd love, I'd love to see her in a movie someday still. She's just, she was in a sitcom I did for one season and she was great. Um. There's a lot of a lot of people out there. Hey, you captured. I mean, you just yeah. I, I mean, I just yeah. I love Fourth of July, and you guys Thanks. can all check it out. You can subscribe. Uh, you can January twenty eighth is the special. Yeah, it's twenty five so, bucks to to watch it live. Or you get to watch it for ten days, and it's what I saw last night. Yeah, same show. Wow. Yeah. Fuck. We might we might buy it. I hope so. Well, you can have it for free. Well, no, we'll buy it. <laughs> Okay. We'll buy it, man. Um, Louis, thank you so much, man. Thanks and, for having me. Yeah, really thanks. fun. That was really fun. Yeah, me too, oh, man. It it's interesting. I don't like podcasts. They're too serious. And everybody talks about, you know, their view on life. Yeah. And everybody talks about the same fucking shit. It's just the same four subjects we've been talking about since like 2012. And it's really boring. I feel like now. we talked about those, but though. We, Comedy, jerk and all. Yeah, a little bit. But those are, that's real life. We talked about real life. Yeah. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Oh, uh, thank you, man. I did too, sure. man. This was a real honor. And, and once again, uh, you're a hysterically funny comic. Which sweetie, and I, I check hope that, that out. you focus on stand up. I know this is good, but I hope that you stay on stage a lot because if you've only been doing it for 18 years, you're not even there yet. I mean, if that's how good you are now, then if you keep the stand up being number one, and when you get to about 22 years or so, you're going to be uh, unstoppable. So yeah. I hope you do. Thank you, man. Yeah, I hope to. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at right now, figuring out kind of how to evolve, you know? Good. Um, thank you very much, Louis C.K. Now I'm just floating on the breeze And I feel I'm falling like these leaves I must be cornerstone Oh, but when I reach that ground I'll share this peace of mind I found I can feel it in my bones Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jonathan Kite, and welcome to Kite Club, a podcast where I'll be sharing thoughts on things like current events, stand-up stories, and seven ways to pleasure your partner. The answer may shock you. Sometimes I'll interview my friends. Sometimes I won't. And as always, I'll be joined by the voices in my head. You have three new voice messages. A lot of people are talking about Kite Club. I've been talking about Kite Club for so long, longer than anybody else. So great. Hi, sweetheart. Here's a deal. Anyone who doesn't listen to Kite Club is a dodgy bloody wanker. Charmaine. Oh, hi, I'll take a quarter pounder with cheese and a McFlurry. Sorry, sir, but our ice cream machine is broken.
<laughs> I think Tom Hanks just butt dialed me. Anyway, first rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Second rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Third rule, like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or watch us on YouTube, yeah? And yes, don't worry, my Brad Pitt impression will get better.